everybody, and welcome to the MinMax Show, a place about games, friends, and getting better. I'm Ben Hansen, joined by Jeff Markiafava himself. Hey! We have Sergio Vasquez in the corner. Hey! And then we're joined by special guest Jacob Geller. In the other corner. In the other corner, uh, Jacob Geller. In four corners. <laughs> former Game Informer intern, current YouTube essayist. Is that the best way to describe you? How do you like to be described? I th- essayist sounds uh, weird to anyone who hasn't seen a YouTube essay before, but I like it. So sure, yeah, I'll take it. What? Uh, how many hours a week are you working on your YouTube stuff? Uh, probably, I don't know, twenty-five to to thirty. Okay. And it's, I have yeah. I have another job, um, so it's not it's not a full time gig, uh, but it it feels like one. Yeah, how's it going over there? Good. Uh, I'm excited. I, I filmed. Here's something you'll maybe appreciate. I kind of like did a did a less scripted top games of the year video that I was just like I'm just gonna start a camera rolling and see how this goes. And it was so much easier to make than the like hyper edited, hyper scripted things that I usually do. And I'm like, yeah. oh my gosh, I can I can like finish this in like three days. God, you you're underselling yourself. I think for some people that's comfortable. For other people, that would be a nightmare. Like I don't know, uh, Jeff, if you and Sarah remember last year, uh, but when we tried to do like just record our simple top tens, was like, okay, we'll just look at the camera and just explain my number eight, my number seven, and this isn't pointing fingers at you guys. Like I also. It was just a full meltdown of, I cannot do this format. When you have something that should be scripted and then you say, oh, just wing it. It's impossible. Yeah. Like you can't be in the middle ground. You need to have like a fully freeform podcast like this, or I need to have like every pause, every joke written or else I'm just lost. I, I, yeah. I think the, the biggest struggle for us there was that like it was supposed to be off the cuff, but also really short. So right. that, that so like having like what are the two best sentences you can say right now about this game? Ah, that was ah. like that was definitely the the hardest part versus something where it's like just going on it for as long as you want to about a game I think would probably be a lot easier. Yeah. Yeah, if if it's conversational it's totally fine, but if it's the it's if it's the type of thing where you can't have any ums or ahs in it then you're totally screwed, and I just need it written down so I can read it. <laughs> what uh, What do y'all want to do this year? Obviously, we're going to have our huge Game of the Year discussion. We're going to air everything, including the categories, everything with all the cohorts here, and that'll be coming up in the back half of December. But then for our personal top 10 list, uh, how, what format do you guys want? How should we do it? Still do the same thing that murdered us last year. but Okay. Yeah. Maybe I liked it. Make it when as a viewer, I really enjoyed watching those. So it didn't feel like a meltdown. Oh, good. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. The power of it editing. It didn't feel like a meltdown. That's the review we want. <laughs> it's most of our YouTube comments. This is borderline meltdown, but I guess this is fine. Um, but hey, we have a big show. We're announcing something big. And then we're going to be talking about Immortals Phoenix Rising, uh, the new Ubisoft game. And then it's going to be a fun, huge conversation about the most underappreciated games of 2020, otherwise known as some hidden gems. Uh, I consider myself a bit of a, a video game expert, if I may. And I was amazed by how many people from the community in particular wrote in with some amazing suggestions that were completely off my radar. So you will find something to play in that discussion, I promise. Uh, then we might do a little predicting of the Game Awards, which are coming up uh, December 10th. We'll see who's the closest for who's going to win Game of the Year. Uh, and then back half of the show, we have wonderful community questions that people submitted on Patreon. Okay. We should announce something else. Uh, 
coming up soon. There's a game coming out. And it's a game that is uh, hotly anticipated. It's been anticipated for many years, I would say. Probably seven years. And we're debating whether or not we embrace it and fully tackle it with the deepest dive. And eventually it's got to the point where it's like, we can't not do it. We can't not do Cyberpunk 2077 for the deepest dive. So that will be the next deepest dive. The game comes out December 10th. The first discussion of Cyberpunk 2077 will be on, well, it'll be airing on December 16th, but we're going to need your feedback and comments by December 14th. So if you're going to be playing along with us, you're going to be playing Cyberpunk 2077, we encourage you to support us on Patreon, submit a comment for us to read for our gigantic group discussion. We'll have a post up on Patreon on the 14th. And Jeff, you might be asking... What's Cyberpunk 2077? What is Cyberpunk? <laughs> <laughs> no, you, I assume everyone's on board. When do uh, we stop playing? When do you stop playing? Uh, it's very handy that there is a place, a wonderful place to stop. I haven't started this game, by the way, full disclosure. Um, but I hear that it's broken up into acts, which is very easy to read for the starting and stopping points for the deepest dive. So stop at the end of Act 1. You will see on the screen... Act two, or start of Act two, or it might be glitching on the screen. I don't know what it looks like exactly. It'll, it'll say flip the tape. Uh, That's over. right. So That's in, in when you side B. Yes. Icon tells you to put in the next Blu-ray disc. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes, that's going to be roughly within the first 10 hours of the game, but you can probably spend a lot of time with that. So uh, all experience welcome. So we're looking forward to creating the best, most thorough discussion of Cyberpunk 2077 on the internet with the deepest dive. But even just saying that is making my skin crawl a little bit. But I believe it's going to be Jeffum and Surreal and Leo and I um, trekking out on that adventure. And we'll see who survives and uh, who doesn't. Surreal, uh, where's your hype level at for Cyberpunk? I'll survive is sort of where I'm putting <laughs> myself. I think I'll live at the end of this. But uh, uh, I'm I'm kind of mixed on it. Um, I'm I'm pretty excited about it kind of like as this... Thing as like a the sequel to well not the sequel but like the follow up to uh, the Witcher three which is one of my favorite games of all time but yeah. I do think that like the discourse around that game I am definitely uh, I expect to be a minefield in a lot of ways of just like people having the regular you know gamer reactions of anything you say right. is either going to be like you're the worst or you're the, like whatever um, and also that game has you know met with several issues along the way both kind of like. Uh, delay based and in terms of like the the culture around that game some of the stuff that's been in in the marketing so like i it's a it's a conversation that i think we should have but uh i i'm looking forward to playing it if nothing else there's definitely going to be a lot to talk about so that's going to be the objective there with the deepest dive in cyberpunk 2077 and uh, that's going to be a standalone video on our youtube channel and then you can also unlock the podcast version if you support us at that five dollar tier on patreon so we look forward to folks joining the adventure um jacob geller I think you were the first person I saw on Twitter say, Huzzah! Immortals Phoenix Rising is cool! Um, and that stood out. Uh, and just for the full cap, uh, I've played like six hours here. Jeffum's played 20 hours or so. And then Surreal, you actually reviewed it for GameSpot, right? Yeah, I, I've so I've played it for a, a little over 30 hours. Uh, but I, I've, I finished it, did most of the side stuff, did like most of the major side quests. Didn't like tick off every icon uh which like spoilers it's one of those games um 
but I've I've done. I think I have a good understanding of what that game is at this point. Yeah, yeah. You ended up giving it a seven. How long did it take you to finish? Uh, I was basically ta- like it, it would have taken me probably a lot less time if I hadn't gotten into this groove of just going to the ne- the closest objective marker all the time. But probably between t- if I hadn't done that, probably around twenty hours. Okay. But I think an additional 10 hours of just like kind of exploring around and doing a lot of the, the side stuff. For sure. sure. Just setting the table, getting this out of the way. This is the open world, very Breath of the Wild inspired game from Ubisoft, originally called Gods and Monsters, originally was supposed to debut in February of this year, was delayed, reworked a little bit, now called Immortals Phoenix Rising. Uh, Jacob Geller, what do you think about this, this whole thing? So I should say... Um... Uh, Ubisoft gave me a copy. They actually, some some behind the scenes stuff. They gave it to a lot of YouTubers, I think, mm. which is kind of unusual. Like I don't get that many codes for for bigger games, and I got this one. Um, I was not planning on buying this game. I thought the trailers looked bad. Uh, wow, I was I was just not particularly interested in it. Um, and so maybe because my expectations were kind of on the floor. I have been really, really surprised in just how much I enjoy it. You know, I think the the Breath of the Wild comparisons are unavoidable. It is almost every element of this game feels incredibly Breath of the Wild-y, um, except with the kind of Ubisoft, just Stank. the layer of what they're doing over it. Yeah. And so it feels a little like a a Breath of the Wild by committee, but it turns out like it still works, you know, even though I feel like it doesn't have the soul of Zelda, really, I don't feel uh, emotionally connected to the world in really any way. It's just fun. And that that kind of loop of like climbing to a high place and seeing something interesting and gliding off towards it is really addicting. I think specifically, you nailed they're saying the gliding, like having that maneuverability in this world is so fun to basically have the hang glider again, just flying around with the wings now. Wings of mm-hmm. Daedalus, is that what we're talking about? This is Greek mythology, if you haven't been yes. catching up with uh, Immortals Phoenix Rising. Uh, I'm, I'm with you. I, I've been playing it, and it's just that moment of like, I bet there's going to be a lot of people that'll just say, ah, poo-poo, Ubisoft just wanted to rip off Breath of the Wild, moving on. But it's like, am I going to have to be the one to... St- stand up for this game in the industry like i feel like years from now we'll look back on this and be like hey that was cool you got to give it up for ubisoft going for a new ip and doing my favorite thing which is letting them take a team like ubisoft quebec who last made assassin's creed odyssey which just came out in 2018 taking a lot of the leads from that team and then saying hey just kind of rework some of that greek stuff and pump out a whole new ip and for them to turn that around in two years is amazing i think we should celebrate just ubisoft at least swinging for it and them going for something different that is a fun game so far i mean i know you've talked about for years like when are people going to start doing breath of the wild and we've seen little stuff you know like a short hike was kind of like breath of the wild or, or lots of other games but this is the only one that i've played so far that feels anywhere close to the same scale you know, that, that the world is incredibly dense with puzzles in the same way and, yeah. and even more so than Zelda was doing. You know, they just had the money. Like, they just had the kind of, like, production staff to put something at that big of a scale together. Yeah, the staff and the skills. After all these years of pumping out AC, they can just apply that to something newish and, and really mm-hmm. crank this thing out. Um, yeah, the puzzles is... 
a huge talking point as well. I mean, I was amazed how many puzzles are in this game. If you love pressure plates, boy, is Immortals <laughs> Phoenix Rising the game for you because, oh my God, are there a lot in this game. It's very much like a like a normal, you know, Ubisoft kind of open world game, except all those little things on your mini map are basically puzzles. And most of them are interesting enough. Like, like there hasn't, there hasn't been an activity where I'm like, I don't want to, I did one of those and I don't want to do those anymore. Yeah. And part of that is I, I think the puzzles are interesting. And then I like the, I like the treasures that you're getting. Like almost everything has a weapon or, you know, some kind of piece of armor or something that has like another passive different stat to it. And that, that feels more satisfying to me than, and one of my biggest complaints about Breath of the Wild was because you were getting, I know, I know Breath of the Wild fans hate that you even bring it up, but because everything, because all your weapons and stuff always broke, it, it was always a huge bummer to me when I'd open a chest and I'd get a sword and it's like, this looks cool. It's stronger than what I have but it's only going to last a couple fights and then I'm not going to have it anymore. Yeah. Well, and here it's like, okay. what? Never mind. I was going to argue for what breakable weapons, but it's fine. Move on. And here, when you get a new weapon and it has a different buffs on it and you can upgrade it and you know that you have it and you, and you can like switch the cut. Even you can just switch the aesthetic to a different aesthetic when you get them and still keep the same, you know, buffs of a different weapon and stuff like that to me feels more rewarding. Yeah, I will. I will say that, like for me, as as I, I I play more and more of it, those rewards do kind of start falling off. In that, it you are getting way more cosmetic stuff than you are getting act- anything with a, like a tangible benefit. Yeah. Uh, where like you know I I have like three like I'll have I'll get like one piece of armor that's like oh this one this one kind of makes it look like this is like a foresty type with like some leaves growing out of it, and then you'll get like three different colors of that same chest. So by the end of it, like I I do feel like the rewards weren't crazy enticing but i think that the the thing that i like about a lot of these puzzles is that they don't feel like busy work it's not like like even among uh, ubisoft open world games this one feels uh rewarding just because the thing that you are doing is not just like okay go like here's a quest line you you see a cutscene, and then the character needs oh i go i need you to go collect three pieces of wood to build my house or whatever and then you like the thing is just go to this piece of wood go to this piece of wood bring them back to the caregiver thanks for for helping me build my house seal like quest done right you are you are actually doing things that are that are satisfying in and of themselves regardless of the reward uh, which is the thing that I, I enjoyed about that game most. Yeah, I think the puzzles hit this really good medium of, I would consider myself bad at puzzles and video games. Like I, I am not a particularly smart player in this arena, but they always seem to hit for me. It's like, I'm looking around, I can't quite figure it out. I'm turning to leave. And when I turn, there's the lever that I hadn't seen. And then I realized that like that opens, you know, like this laser grid and then I can hit it. And it, it's really kind of impressive how many times I've felt this, like I'm almost going to give up on this. And then I see the one thing that I need. And, and for me, that's been just like a very kind of intrinsically rewarding loop of like, even though you're basically just lighting torches or putting things on pressure pads or whatever, they are different enough that I have continued to have fun with them, even though I've done, you know, dozens at this point. 
Yeah, it is very, we should mention too, I mean, these puzzles are largely taking place in, what is it, Tartarus, where it's basically the shrines from Breath of the Wild. We're going Mm -hmm. to a place with kind of a similar color palette design. It's just like, okay, here is a bite-sized little puzzle. Try and and complete this. I think the only one that I had where I was like really scratching my head so far is that one where you just have to like ram the rocks into the walls. And it's basically, you know... um, boom blocks within a puzzle was like am i doing this right if i just ram these like boulders with the wind through these walls enough i eventually clear a path i guess one one thing that i've really liked that is similar to breath of the wild is i found some that i've kind of uh solved in the wrong way Mm -hmm. you know like there is that ability to kind of combine the things you can do in an unexpected way and and get through it and in, in a way that they probably didn't intend but they also didn't stop you from and that's just really fun what really annoyed me though was getting into uh one of these we'll just call them shrines um getting into one of these shrines environments and then having the message like you do not have the god power to complete this puzzle i was like that sucks that makes me appreciate breath of the wild so much more yeah. anything is fair game if you can figure it out and so having that weird bit of gating it's like okay it's got to bring it back yeah. down. I can't compare everything to Breath of the Wild. It's unreasonable. Here we go. It, it is a little bit looser in that, like, I've, so, I've straight up solved a puzzle that told me that without the thing. Oh, really? <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, but, like, that was because I I had I was so upgraded with stamina that, like, I just was able to brute force a jump that I think I was meant to, like, at some point you unlock an ability that effectively acts as a triple jump, and then the game kind of treats it as that and says, like, there, yeah, there are certain abilities that you can't, or uh, certain puzzles that you can't solve without... Uh, this like effective triple jump but i was able to do it because i was like okay i'm just gonna do this and then like sort of try to get on this platform or like stack these blocks in this particular way so that my jump is able to do that so there is a little bit of um fun circumventing there but yeah it it does feel less kind of like organic right that that the game just straight up can and cannot do in a way that you know breath of the wild never did but um yeah i think once i stopped kind of saying okay this is this is Ubisoft's version of Breath of the Wild. This is what that would look like. This is as close as you're going to get, right? Where everything is, you're never really lost because, you know, anytime you get up to, like, the first thing you do in every region, right, is get up to the tallest building, basically scout the entire area. And you don't have to, but you can use this, like, true sight thing to basically map everything on the map immediately in a way that, like, you could sort of do in Breath of the Wild, but wasn't as explicit. It certainly didn't tell you exactly what the activity was. It's very state of decay in that way, yeah. Yeah, so you're basically just, uh, you're not really, like, exploring the world as much as you're like, okay, get on top of this thing, scout, like, see all the things you can do, and then just go to all of those. And there's not going to be a ton of surprises along the way, but the things that you are going to are, you know, like, interesting to get to, right? Yeah, and I'd, I'd say that's probably my biggest criticism at this point. And I've I've seen other people mention it, sir. You mentioned your rude that it doesn't have that sense of exploration mm-hmm. that Zelda does, and that that true sight ability really feels like the shining example of Ubisoft just not not quite getting what what made that so special about Breath of the Wild because it's the point isn't to just like go up and like mark stuff on your map. Like what was cool about it in breath of the wild is that it, you were doing it organically. Like you would see something and you, and you say that looks like it might be something interesting. I'm just going to put a pin there and then I'm going to go check out and see what it actually is. And right. here you're just uncovering icons. And that, and that's just like a, this slow cumbersome process of like going around the entire panorama and being like, okay, it's somewhere here. It's somewhere here. Okay. That's, 
you know, one of the ambrosia gems that you can get. And then, oh, there's something here. You, you don't have that that agency as like, I'm going to go out and I'm actually going to explore right. this and find something interesting. There was a little bit of even like some things that were like really telegraphed, like uh, you'd see like a, a giant door with like a bunch of slopes leading up to it. Then you see a bunch of snowballs, right? And then you eventually figure out, oh, I have to grab the snowball and throw it down. But even like as you were looking around the map, there are things like, okay, there's a, a, some rocks here. Is this a is this a thing that'll get me a Kokori seed if I complete this thing, or is it just nothing? Right. Whereas here, mm -hmm. that line is almost like everything is marked as clearly as possible. It's like this is a vault because it has it's like giant thing coming out of the ground with a giant spire of light. This is a series of like giant loop uh, hoops. So this is an Odysseus challenge or like here's the giant plate that you do like a Hermes challenge on. Like all that stuff is explicit as possible. Um, so you're not getting that. But I think that it, it like it doesn't necessarily want to be Breath of the Wild in that sense. It, it's just saying if you just want the easy mode, like just do the activities version of it of like we're going to tell you where everything is it, like effectively playing, you know, Breath of the Wild with a guide. Which I'm guessing a lot of people actually did. I'm, I I would imagine that a lot of people, if they didn't look up specific ones, are just going to be like, I don't care about figuring this out myself. I just want to see where everything is. Yeah. I think this is a game that more explicitly caters to that. Yeah, I yeah. hear you. Yeah, it's interesting, Jacob Geller, with you talking about, uh, you know, with you talking about how we would talk so much about Winter the Breath of the Wild clones coming. And it seems like we're kind of at that tipping point, I guess, this year with Genshin Impact being a big one. Mm -hmm. And then... I mean, to call it a clone is confusing, but the fact that this came out so close to Age of Calamity, it feels like the production cycles have now fully turned around, and now it's like, okay, we think the world's ready for these types of games. Um, I'm curious about just, like, the timing of this game's release. I feel like this would be a lot better received if it came out in February. I think it's it's a tough one right now, but it's cool to have a shorter open-world experience, but I'd imagine most fans of these games still haven't finished Valhalla, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, it's it's absolutely absurd that Ubisoft released three massive open world games so close to one another. Basically a month apart each. Right? Well, I do want to this. This brings up something that I want to talk about here, which is that uh, this is maybe not something that we talk about, you know, from our perspective much. This is a, a kid's game, you know, yeah. in a way that I really have not played many others this year. You know, I think yep. the dialogue is is kind of cheesy and full of like innuendos or they'll kind of like joke about, you know, like the stuff that they're not explicitly saying, but I would feel totally comfortable giving this game to like a 10 year old cousin, you know, in a way that I definitely would not with Assassin's Creed or with cyberpunk or, you know, any of these other big games that are coming out. And I think for, for a kid, this would be a, great experience you yeah. know like all of the things we're complaining about i think they would just be like oh my god look at all these chests that i can go find like it, it really it seems like a kid's game that i'm enjoying more so than a grown-up game that also children yeah. would like don't think of it like yeah. as a skylanders i think yeah you're an adult you can tackle it but i mean it, it makes sense where ubisoft was coming i'm sure the pitch is let's take all the design lessons from assassin's creed and make something that the entire age range can enjoy it's like, oh Okay, you can stamp it out in a couple years. Here we go. Go for it. Yeah, um, makes sense. I, I, there, there are more. Like, there are enough jokes there about like the, the, those innuendo things that you that you mentioned. That I'm kind of like, I'm not a parent, so I don't. You know, I'm not going to like make a judgment on this either way. But like, it does feel like I, I would be. I, I would maybe sit on the couch and like be there with my kid when I played this because there, are, there are just like there are straight up references 
to semen in this game. Like it is so All oh, right, weird. sir. This is a family friendly podcast. <laughs> that's, what, that's what I'm saying is that like it is mostly like it mostly gets by, but there are enough things that come up over the course of the game that I'm just like, <laughs> this did not have to be here. It, it, it feels uh, like totally weird. Yeah, um, we should. Those would have gone right over my head as a dead kid. That's yeah. that's true. Like I think a lot of kids entertainment from like the 90s and 80s specifically are like, let's let's sneak in a couple of adult jokes in there. And that uh, maybe this is what that is going for. But like looking at it an adult, I'm just like, I, I don't know. Like would a kid catch that? Cause I don't know like, I don't know what kids these how smart kids these days are. I assume they're smarter than I was when kids I was a kid. Yeah, we should have um, mentioned this a while ago where it's like a Ubisoft open world where they consistently talk about semen. It's yeah. it's all unnerving how often yeah. it comes No, but, but it's, it's when you're dealing with the Greek myth, there's just a lot of like, oh boy, don't ask about yeah. the, this situation. Whoa, yeah, the, whoa, whoa. The, like, the Greek mythology, like they they don't necessarily shy away from like, you know, a lot of the weird relationships in Greek mythology. It all just treats uh, it kind of like this inside joke, like the viewer, like, you remember this myth, right? From, yeah. from college, like just hoping that everybody, but you know, this team <laughs> is so invested in it because they've been dealing with Greek mythology for so long in the Greek world because of Assassin's Creed that there are a couple of these things where they're trying to be cheeky and jokey about things where it's like, I'm a mythology fan and I'm a little hazy on even what the joke is here. Yeah. I, I will say though, as a whole, I think the, the tone of this game and it, it, you totally nailed it into, it does feel like a kid's movie, but I feel like it is more DreamWorks than Pixar in that a lot of it is very like, Oh, let's make this like snarky joke about everything. Like let's turn everything into like a setup punchline situation right. in a way that just, it gets really grating really quickly. Uh, and I think for the, they miss on the, most of the jokes. I don't, I like, there are a couple of like, pretty amusing gags that they they pull off but i think a lot of it is just like the the commentary track between prometheus and zeus which is like they're basically the narrator narrators of the game yeah i think a lot of it, it, a lot of it feels unnecessary even though it does give context to like oh this is the area where this happened or whatever but like everything is just like uh, zeus is gonna make a joke it's gonna be bad and prometheus is just gonna be like oh Oh, Zeus. Uh, and that is like the through line through so much of it. And that was like the the thing that was constant, consistently like I would advise people like if you just want like the puzzles and stuff, you're more or less safe to skip the story. I don't think there's a lot there for it's you. It's a podcast game. It's, exactly. it's a total yeah. podcast game. I couldn't play it with podcasts because I was reviewing it. But I definitely <laughs> thought multiple times like, man, it'd be nice to just pull up a podcast and forget <laughs> all of this. Yeah, there's it, I agree. The jokes are hit and miss. Uh, tough for jokes to be all hits. Uh, but there, every once in a while, it's like there's just a weird rhythm to the cutscenes, even outside of the narration, even just interactions between like Phoenix and Hermes, where it's just like just a little just hints every once in a while of a weird pacing. And I couldn't help but think about, I think we talked about it on the podcast before, but about just how this game was reworked. Because originally, back when they announced it, it was going to come out in February, it was supposed to be Homer, the writer, not the character, um, talking to his grandkids. And they were that was the narration running through the game. So we talk about like how Zeus and Prometheus are almost, you know, unnecessary as those commentators or these feel disconnected. It, probably because they was rewritten and it's probably mm. telling that they could gut that out and replace it with two other characters and it's not going to break the game because it's just kind of this artificial layer on top. Yeah, I, I could see this like during the Gods and Monsters era uh, of them going a little bit more earnest, a little slightly more serious, but still keeping the same kind of art style. And then at some point someone said like, well, then that's just every other game we make. So why don't we go for something di for a different vibe, right? And then right. at some point they just inserted all of this like personality into the game and it ended up not like for me, it just feels really shoot like strung in there. And the thing is that 
I think there are remnants of that there, of that kind of, if there is an original storyline or whatever, it, because towards the end of the game, they start pivoting to like more serious topics and not like mm. serious, serious. I'm talking like DreamWorks movie serious where it's like, okay, everybody slow down. We're going to try to impart a lesson here. Hmm. And that stuff falls so flat because the entire time, all of these characters have been made to like be, you know, like the peanut gallery or like the, breaking the, the fourth the wall and yeah. where they're kind of just making fun of everything that's happening. Right. But then when they pivot to like, no, like, you know, if you think about, you know, Hephaestus's, you know, like whole arc, it's kind of tragic. And like when it starts pivoting to that, it just feels like you did not really uh, you, you didn't set this up well enough for me to care. Yeah, it is certainly pretty chaotic out of the gate. And the game's director, Scott Phillips, uh, was a designer back on the Saints Row series. Like we interviewed him back at Game Informer for like the Saints Row 3 storyline. So I couldn't get that out of my head either. Just like, OK, some of that Saints Row comedy uh, chaos coming through in the early sections. And, you know, I appreciate a game going for it, even if even six hours in, I was like, all right, I think I've had enough of this narration. I think we're good to go here. To get back to, to something positive, I don't want to let this conversation end without saying, I think combat's really good. Yeah. Uh, that's something that I would say is a pretty net improvement over Breath of the Wild. Yeah, um, for sure. You get mm-hmm. to combine lots of abilities in interesting ways. There, there are combos. My favorite like anecdote about it is so this game has exactly the Magnesis power from Breath of the Wild, like animated in the same way. Yeah. It does the same thing, but you can upgrade it to pull yourself towards an enemy like Devil May Cry, and like mm-hmm. when you do that, it totally changes the the feel of everything, and suddenly you're doing like aerial combos and like you know shooting all over the sky. And that's really neat. And that is not Zelda-esque at all. Mm-hmm. And and I enjoyed that, you know, that change of pace a lot. There, there's a lot of, like, techniques that are lifted from Breath of the Wild, like the, the flurry rushes where if you dodge correctly, you get, like, a big slowdown effect. Um, and, yeah, like, I, I, I really like the way combat scales. And, like, eventually you get the ability to do both of, like, you can pull an enemy to you and pull yourself to an enemy. So there was, like, a, a boss fight in a vault that I basically spent most of in the air. Because the way cool. combat works is that you spend stamina to get up in the air uh, to like pull yourself to an enemy, but as you attack enemies, you gain stamina back. So you're kind of managing all these like kind of like one or two different meters to constantly stay up in the air. Um, so it, that like at least is some really cool um, like situations where you feel like you have a mastery of like all of your abilities, and there are certain enemies that are like, okay, uh, these enemies are shielded, but you can parry their attacks. But you eventually get this ability that kind of summons spears out of the ground. And so, like, that counters shielded enemies. So, like, they have a pretty decent economy of, like, okay, when I see this enemy, this is what I need to do. Yeah. Uh, Jeffem, will you yeah. keep playing this game? Yeah. Okay. Oh, for now. Will you um, fight for this game to be on MinMax's list of uh, the 20 best games of the year, otherwise known as the 210s? Um, yeah, probably. I mean, it's... and. And this kind of goes back to the story thing, which you guys were poo-pooing on. But, like, I, I'm i not going to say that the writing's good or anything, but if we can take our critics' hats off for a second, like, not every game has to completely blow my socks off right. with its amazing storytelling. And not every, you know, like, not every comedy is going to reach the upper echelon of amazing humor. And, like, having having a different tone for this type of game... I really appreciate yes. because you because so many of these open world games are so focused on being serious and trying to tell these serious stories that I don't I don't mind the goofy narration and there have been enough you know like 
fun, genuinely funny things that have happened that have surprised me that that I'm in, I'm enjoying it for that reason. And it, it is nice, you know, also having Valhalla and also having Watch Dogs in those games on my backlist. This is a nice complement to those where it's a little, it's more focused and it's a different tone that makes me kind of want to keep jumping back in there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I do think it will go down as one of the underrated AAA games of 2020 because I'm, I'm fascinated to learn that Ubisoft is reaching out to a lot of YouTubers. They're definitely generous with uh, giving us codes as well. I think I think they just want to get into hands of people because it's a solid game. And from what I can see, there is uh, very little hype out there. Uh, for this game like you know all of our coverage even like game informers coverage it's like god this game's better than it's deserving right now so i think there's going to be a fan base for this game for for quite a it while because it does also look a lot like a uh very pretty mobile game like all of all of the like hud elements and yeah. stuff just it just kind of looks like a fake game you know those like fake phone game ads that you see and it's like i think it looks really pretty but yeah. like it's not it's not really striking, uh, especially if you just kind of like see it scrolling past you. While I was reviewing it, I think that uh, my brother and I had a quick conversation about like this. This just looks like Fortnite, doesn't it? Like, doesn't it? Isn't this just kind of like Fortnite? And I think I, I find a lot of the characters' eyes kind of weird, uh, like in that they're like huge. But <laughs> like it, it, it does feel like it is. I can't say it's not like a, a, a decent. Like I don't hate the art style. It just feels like it's in this weird mid zone where it's like. It's not bland, but it's not like super distinct either. There's moments that look really great. I think some of the animations are a little bit stiffer than I would like, both in mm-hmm. cutscenes cut and for character movement. Yeah. Um, but I still think it, it looks pretty good. I'm playing on uh, Series X, and it was the first time that I ran into this situation of this generation where there are loading screen tips. But because it loads so fast, you don't get a chance to read them. So it's like, oh, wait a second, what does that actually say? But I assume most people playing won't have that issue because they won't be playing on the new gen consoles. I, I'd imagine. Um, it's a telling sign to me, though. Uh, we got codes for the Switch version. And I immediately went to Kyle. because like, hey, Kyle, this is your type of game. You want to play it on Switch? And he's like, I, uh, I actually don't want to play it on Switch. Like, he hit his limit of, like, I don't trust how this game's going to run. And it turns out it's a little bit chuggy. I've heard that it crashes... Uh, a couple I mean, of times. and also it looks like Silent Hill. You know, like the fog is like in uh, Oh, really? I haven't I, seen. Yeah. I, think, I think I saw a headline. I think it was Kotaku that said the, the Switch version of Immortals uh, tries real hard. <laughs> yeah, it's cool that they that they got it on the system, uh, but hopefully it's not too too rough of an experience for for folks out there. Um, oh, also, I'm super excited uh, for the DLC because it seems like they're kind of taking the Far Cry approach where. The second DLC pack is called Myth of the Eastern Realm, and it feels like it's going to be a hopefully standalone, but it's going to be like a new protagonist, and it's going to be all about Chinese mythology. So I hope it's just kind of like that Far Cry 5 DLC mentality of just having like this smaller open world, because I will absolutely play through that. I'm really looking forward to that. I don't know if I'll finish this main game, but having a smaller version, the new mythology, happy to check that out. Basically, just keep making your open world smaller and smaller and smaller, and eventually More I'll than, really yeah. tackle one of them. Uh, but there we go. Uh, you can check out Serial's review on GameSpot. Yeah. Very uh, cool. I, I, I liked it, so. <laughs> yeah. Oh, great. I did, too. I like it as much as I like Jeffum. As much as I like Jeffum leaving. What would you give Jeffum? I give him uh, five seconds to get on out of here, buddy. All right. Uh. Ana Diaz. Hey. Welcome. Honor to have you. And Leo Vader. Hello. <laughs> Leo 
if I could be honest with you, I kind of feigned like surprise in my voice, but I figured you'd be coming on this podcast. And we were talking for like three minutes before you yeah. started. No, I don't know what you're talking about. I think about it was there. after the 10th minute that Leo was on the call that I figured, I think he might be on this show. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. That's only for folks at the backstage past year. Um, we are here to talk about some underappreciated games from 2020, or as the community likes to call them, hidden gems from 2020. Uh, we each have three roughly uh, games that we think deserve some more attention because... If I know one thing, it's that everybody watching or listening to this is just dying for another game to play. They're saying, where can I get my hands on some games right now? And we say this mm-hmm. podcast, damn it. Um, so we each have, yeah, roughly three. We can go around the horn and kind of share our top three most underappreciated games of 2020. Jacob Geller, what is your number three? Number three. Uh, so this was a game that I talked about a little earlier this year on a video. Uh, it's called Tales from Off-Peak City. Um, there's this indie developer named Cosmo D who's made a couple games in the past who just has this really weird, fascinating style where everything is kind of intentionally like clashing with each other. You know, it feels like one of those games where it's just like assets pulled from all over the place. And they're all kind of stuffed into this one box. And then he he does his own soundtracks. And there's this like really funky, cool jazz. And so the whole game kind of feels like improvisational jazz, where it's like things shouldn't necessarily go together, but they do. Tales from Off Peak City is kind of just a just a walking simulator. You're like a pizza delivery guy and you bring pizzas to to different people. And there's not that much kind of like story wise that happens in it but it's just kind of getting the vibe of this city yeah uh, i find it really interesting and and it's funny and there are some kind of like sinister undertones that maybe it's called i think it's like volume one or episode one so he might okay. be making more of these things but even as a standalone it's like an hour and a half maybe uh and i really enjoyed it interesting there we go and uh, what's that on it is on um pc generally i think it was a like a humble original for a while but now you can get it on steam okay nice uh and if you miss the names of these games that was tales from off peak city but all the names will be in the description below for your easy convenient uh reference because we love you uh serial what's uh one of your most underrated games this year yeah, I feel like the maybe the spirit of this category is is kind of indie but i'm gonna actually give a a quick shout out to black mesa uh which is the good remake Uh, of the original Half-Life, which came out a, a lot. Like, we talked about it on the show. I think Kyle mentioned it. But I, I think as I get into my end-of-the-year stuff, I'm very much contemplating where this is going to land on my top 10, not if it's going to be on there. Because I think it does... I Like, there have been kind of a lot of debates about, you know, what a remake should be, especially since we've had some some pretty, like, notable remakes this year. Yeah. But I think Black Mesa is sort of where I would want a remake to be, uh, like, ideally in terms of, being like the the de facto version of a game to play and that it does update a lot of the assets and i know there are people who are going to miss kind of like visual weirdness in the original half-life that it's just like oh this texture's got kind of muddy so i don't know what it is whereas this clarifies that but this feels like it is preserving the things that made half-life good uh and it even improves them like because it went they went back and extended a lot of the zen sections which some people have mixed thoughts about some people don't like them as much yeah is that what people Uh, wanted from the original half-life was more zen yeah, I think people just wanted Zen to either go away or be good. And I think <laughs> right. they kind of went with like, we're going to invest a little bit more and actually try to make it a, a significant portion. Because it, it, you going to Zen, I think, is a significant part of that story. Right. Um, 
but here they they kind of extended. I'm I'm a fan overall. I don't think it's like perfect, but I think they do a pretty good job of of modernizing those sections. But even just the um the 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 sections before that I think actually are really strong and they kind of show to highlight like the original design of this game was actually like super good like even beyond the oh it's just like you, you follow this thing and there's a series of story events that happen and it doesn't feel guided like the way a lot of shooters were I think that stuff is still really strong now and I think this game does a really good job of highlighting that without making it feel aged yeah that's a great call Black Mesa uh, Ana Diaz. Uh, mine are in no particular order. Perfect. Um, I just want to specify that. Um, I also want to say, like, I don't know, for underrated, I just went with games that I felt like should have been talked about more. Yeah. Um, but for this title, like, actually in the past week, I've been seeing a ton of people pick it up. And so it's kind of like, I don't know if it still falls into this category in a very clear way. But uh, I've been playing uh, Umarangi Generation. That uh, absolutely the- qualifies. Yeah. Okay, cool. Ever since the <laughs> DLC came out. Um, and I mean, what I'm going to say, basically, like this game is like no other video game that I played this year really like nails the current like moment and feeling better than Umarangi. Um, Umarangi, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it correctly. Um, it's New Zealand? Like, yeah, yeah. New Zealand, Australia based. Okay. Um, and so... Actually, the game designer um, drew inspiration from the fires for like some of the environment design. So it's like very kind of apocalyptic, um, very uh, it's realistically apocalyptic and like weirdly relaxing. Um, it's a so it, Yeah, we talked about it on the podcast a while ago. You, you probably okay. forgot about it um, because it's called Umarangi Generation. Really a rough name to try and memorize. But yeah, it's uh, indie Pokemon Snap. Yeah, yeah, no rails, Pokemon Snap, um, and just, like, really fitting to the current moment. Yeah. Can I ask, so I I have this game, and it's a game that I really want to like, and I played, like, the first level and a half and found Mm -hmm. the actual just, like, it was, like, I like the art style and stuff, but it was just kind of, like, take pictures of stuff until the level ends, kind of until you found everything. Does it... Like, should I keep playing? Like, does it get kind of more interesting or will I get more into the vibe of it? Um, I mean, as you progress, like, you do have the ability to shoot, like, more populated areas. Like, the areas become more sort of, like, complex and bigger. Um, But I'd say, like, if those original... Okay, the first sort of zone wasn't super... in, Like, it wasn't necessarily, like, the most interesting thing to me, like, right off the bat, I'd say. Um, But... Um, it does like it did sort of pull me in more as I played more. But I will say, like, I was kind of already interested in like the environment from the second stage. So, like, maybe it won't. You know, if the interest isn't there, I can't like do a hard recommend. Like, yeah. I really, I really want to like it. You know, every, everyone who I like in the games industry seems to love this game. Yes. And so it's, you know, it's on my list for that reason. I'm totally with you, Jacob. Yeah, where I started up a couple days ago and I was like, I want to like this game. It made me nauseous or nauseated, I guess technically I should say, which was surprising to me because it's not oh, first person, you know. It seems yeah. like a, a slow FPS in terms of mechanics here, except you have a camera. But for some reason, I think just the visuals hit me too hard. But it's it's funky. But why um why do you think it's landing so well with people uh, this year? Uh, why are people gaga over this thing? Um, I mean, I think that it's sort of like 
it's it's not it's not just like a photography game it's also you know has something to say about like the act of photographing things and like being a photographer and so there's like sort of like a commentary nestled into it like i think so many times like certain games will have certain themes in it but like not have a strong message like on said theme and so i think that umurangi is like much better at sort of like delivering like general i guess like social commentary in that sense on like that activity so like this whole act of like photographing people like under crisis under these apocalyptic conditions etc as like as you progress you sort of yeah there's more to that um but um i also think that it's just hitting with people because it is like politically relevant um okay and it is socially relevant and you definitely get more of that like the further you get into it. So like you see like all the people wearing masks and you know, uh, you see like more like a police presence in certain areas. And um, huh. you have this weird, you know, you play this weird role of being able to just be like almost like an outsider who's unaffected by the apocalypse. Right. Uh, and is right. it PC only? Oh, it's on switch too. Oh. Yeah, that's yeah. I, it's on Switch, or it's coming to Switch at some point. Okay. Soon. Yes. Yes. Come to Switch later. Okay. But yeah, it looks like PC only right now. But cool. Umarangi generation. Uh, Leo. Wow, us dude. <laughs> Get ready. Okay. I've got the cheat code here, here which is you just say a VR game, and they're all going to be underappreciated. <laughs> uh, Walking Dead Saints and Sinners wow. released in January this year. Yeah. And I adore it. Really? I think what it does so special is the physicality of the combat. It's like, a you know, it's a Walking Dead zombie survival game. You know what to expect. You're scavenging for resources, which is more fun in VR, you know, actually pulling open the drawers and grabbing items and looking at, like, what parts they contain, you know, the stapler with the metal in it, putting it in your backpack or whatever. But the combat is so physical and brutal in a way that, VR has trouble with sometimes, you know, slicing with a sword can feel not very tactile, but in Walking Dead, your bladed weapons will just like stick into enemies and you'll have to do the force of yanking them back out. I'm not to mention like cutting limbs off and everything. It's really uh, brutal, but in a way that's systemic and fun to goof around with. The idea of someone's head off and throw it over a house or whatever. It would seem like you would be um, fed up with walking dead games licensed games like it's it's telling that this won you over in vr yeah i certainly it's the first walking dead thing i've cared about in a long long time for sure yeah but it's it's it really nails the vr combat like boneworks obviously is another uh tentpole vr physical combat game but this i think the game aspect is more fun the scavenging the dealing with factions there are people that want certain things there are people that will, you know, act like they want certain things and then ambush you. You know how it happens in video games. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I just adore it. I love just throwing guns around, juggling them and shooting people. It's It really nails the feel of it in a way that makes me want to come back again and again, which not a lot of VR games do. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, here's a quick one from me uh, that I've talked about just recently on the show. But uh, Pumpkin Jack, everybody, if you're not sick of 3D platformers, Freaking love some pumpkin jack. Uh, it's out on absolutely everything known to man. It's just a short four to five hour simple platformer, but you know what? It does the body good. Jacob Keller, number two. <laughs> okay, my number two. This is another one where it's like maybe I don't I don't know how popular this is or not, but I really love Carrion, 
the yeah. the reverse horror game that came out this year. It's it's one of my favorite games of the year. Um, it's so. It, it, you know, I, I listened to your whole thing, um, uh, thing, oh. <laughs> thing deepest dive. You yes, know, yes. your whole thing, um, and and what I really like about Carrion is it makes you act the way that monsters in movies act for kind of logical reasons. Um, like there are there are things where like it doesn't really tell you when someone dies in the game like you're killing guys but it's not like all right you got to move on to the next one and so the only way to be really sure that someone's dead is to completely eviscerate them in this in this really kind of gross way but like for you the monster you don't have any indication that they're dead until they're like you know halfway across the screen and so you know you watch the thing and you're like why is it just going insane on these guys but then you play as it and you're like i don't know maybe it makes sense the thing was scared all along you guys it had to create that thing with multiple heads it also it just it it has some stunning animation work both in just how you move around which is instantly kind of identifiable as interesting but also just in like I don't know, you unlock some abilities later on that are kind of normal video game abilities, but I have not seen them animated like this before, and it's just really, really neat. Yeah, that's a good pick. Uh, Carry On, it's available on damn near everything, I think. Devolver put it yeah, it's on. Yeah, it's on Game Pass. Oh, there we go. Uh, just Game Pass, that works. Um, Serial? Yeah, uh, I just want to give a, a quick shout-out to Treasury and Beatdown City, which oh, is yeah. kind of a... a a, a sort of mix between an RPG and a beat 'em up in a weird way that I actually found uh, uh, really cool. I did, I wasn't able to finish it uh, mostly because I hit like a, a weird bug that I I had to figure out how to work around, and I ended up not going back to it. But like the 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 I think two or three hours that I played of it, I I really enjoyed um, because it is just it it is not a complex game in that you are just basically going from encounter to encounter, like literally in in like a super mario brothers 3-esque like map where you're just kind of okay here's the next level here's the next level here's the next level uh and every level is basically like one or two encounters but it's pretty good about giving like you you only play as one character one of three characters at a time but it's really good about making this a, a, a turn-based rpg that actually has a lot of depth just in one character of like okay you need to use the these attacks to set up this other attack, and then this is how you kind of exploit the enemy's weakness. Wait, so it's not a brawler; it's a turn-based RPG. It's sort of a combination of both because, oh. as you're kind of wandering, like you're basically wandering, like if you imagine like one screen of a beat 'em up, you're kind of just walking around it, and you have the stamina, like basically your mana, uh, that you're kind of waiting to build up. And while you're doing that, you can actually just punch enemies regularly, but like you you get your real damage from like pausing the action. Selecting, I'm going to do a three-hit combo that kind of makes them susceptible to throws, and so like, and they're weak to throws, which is that, but they're not super like punches aren't effective. But this one combo sets the other thing up. Yeah, I feel like this game, my uh, most underrated game, Final Fantasy VII Remake. That's right, the perfect (laughs) game. (laughs) Everybody's number one, I presume. So we can skip that. Yeah. So um, you're like setting up these different characters and like there are different character types that you kind of want to go in with different characters for like one of the three characters against um, and like the storyline is interesting in that it, it kind of it's not like super deep or anything but it does deconstruct a lot of like especially let's say like Bay Area kind of stereotypes about people who like are gentrifying a neighborhood like tech billionaires kind of kind of thing so it's always oh. fun to have these like dialogue exchanges 
Um, I feel like uh, this game got lost in the shuffle because I feel like there have been uh, seven notable throwback brawler looking things in the last couple of years. And in my mind, this is just lumped in with every other one of those. Like, I think they're all roughly the same. Yeah. But I, I so I think it is kind of this weird message of like, no, it's a beat em up, but it's also an RPG. So it's kind of like hard to sell. But sure. I would say it's definitely like a, a, approach it as an RPG with um, beat em, with a, like a beat em up look. There we go. Um, and I, and I, I appreciated that. Anna, number two, very specifically your number two. Yeah, my number two. Um, most overrated. You guys might like smash my head into a wall for saying this. Uh-huh. I think that Persona Five Royal was underrated. Sorry, um, we, got, we gotta let you go on it. <laughs> nice talking to you. Thanks for being Breaking here. up the video and audio <laughs> and our interest. Um, um, I think that Persona Five overshadowed it. Uh, people viewed it too much as like a tiny iteration. Um, when in fact, the more I read about it, it's like it proved. It, and the more I play of it, it added so much to the game and, like, fixed pretty big problems with Persona 5. And that, like, it would probably be one of the, the most, you know, beloved entries of the series right. if it wasn't framed as, you know, the extension of Persona 5. Yeah, I, I, I hear you. Um, I mean, the <laughs> bad news is that Persona 5 is impossible to finish and see credits roll for because it's too big. And the fact that this adds more I'm on. Like, Persona 5 Royal is, it, it's infinity plus 20 hours. That's, that's exactly, <laughs> they should have just that's called all, it that. That's what it says on how long to be. It just says never. Uh, <laughs> you know, but like, yeah, I've, I've, uh, that ha- that is a game that all year I've been meaning I've been meaning to play it since it came out in March and it's just like <laughs> you task- just pick it up it's short enough it's yeah very short game but yeah but the task it's a pretty big ask to tell someone who like me who went and beat a yeah. 120 hour yeah. game to do it again and this time yeah. it'll be longer yeah but it's like no amount better. no amount of telling them it'll be no it's worth no seriously it's worth it <laughs> yeah which is all I've heard uh, it's still like a pretty big ask when there's like you know, entirely new experiences to play. And so I totally get that frustration of yeah. like, there's enough new here to kind of qualify its own entry in like game of the year lists and stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah. yeah, it is a big Well, risk. and no, and that's the thing is I totally don't blame anyone for not playing it, <laughs> especially if you've played Persona 5. Like mm-hmm. it would be a completely asinine thing to do in my opinion, but it is underrated for these reasons, I think. Yeah, I hear you. Uh, Team Kitty in the chat, uh, watching us live with Backstage Past here, mentions like, and eh, the fact that it's another 60 bucks, which I get, but then coupled with the fact that Persona 5 Standard is available in the PlayStation 5 PS Plus collection thingy, it's like, there's just so many factors dragging down Persona 5 Royale, but I, I hear you that I, there are a lot of fans out there screaming about this game that it deserves more love this year, so thank you for representing them, Anna. Yeah. And now I'll be deleting these YouTube comments. No. Uh, <laughs> Leo, number two? Number two is Rogue Company. Interesting. Uh, this is... Uh, you've either seen it or you've seen 100 games exactly like it. It's a <laughs> I'm listening. free-to-play hero shooter. Third person. I don't know why I tried it in the first place because I had a friend who was excited about it, I guess, and I got a free code off a of stream. But it's a completely solid fun shooter it's again third person hero based abilities there's you know one where you can detect people going through a certain area there's snipers there's shooters the shooting basically feels really good 
peeking around corners in third person and whatnot using your grenades at the right time. And this is from the Realm Royale team, is that right? Right. Okay. And then they also had that other probably more popular game. What was it? This is High Res. Did they make Smite? Yeah, okay. Smite and Paladins and all that stuff. Right. Yes, that team, which I've always bounced immediately off of their games. But it, <laughs> so, I don't know. It's, it's fun to boot up and like warm up for other shooters in. <laughs> it's on, easily on worth like it. a hardcore scale from like I, I don't know what the least hard but if it was like Overwatch on one side and like Siege on the other, you know, where where where's like time to kill in here? Mm. I would put it definitely on the Overwatch side of things, if not past the Overwatch side of things. It is really easy to get into, for sure. Yeah, kind of in that same vein. I assume no one's going to pick it as their number one, so I'll drop it here. But um, did anybody else play Rocket Arena, which is now available on PS Plus? It's kind of like a shooter that combines elements of Smash where you're trying to like blow people out of the arena. I only played a couple rounds of it, but it kind of reminds me of Rogue Company that way. I'm just like, this is a surprisingly solid game that probably deserves better. So hopefully it finds that audience on PS Plus. Mm-hmm. I don't know. There's not much to say about it. Yeah, that's sorry. Fun. But Rogue <laughs> Company, uh, it's on uh, it's on Switch and everything, right? Everything. Yeah, on PC, it's on Epic Game Store. If you haven't seen it, that's why. Oh, hey, here's a thinker for you, Leo. Just to drag you down, just to the pits of hell. Uh, Seth in the backstage pass says, Rogue Company also had that weird crossover with Dr. Disrespect. He designed a map for them after launch. That's right. <laughs> Weirdly, the map is all bathroom stalls. Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> I'd say you can stream here. Mm. Uh, the <laughs> ultimate in for a character that's Doctor Disrespect, and you can do his signature dance, which everybody uh, knows. Dance? Can someone demo it? I've never seen it. Well, <laughs> so, Leo's the only one who has. So I'm just very it. ignorant. On. Let me rhythmically cheat on my wife. <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> hey, anyways, Jacob Geller, uh, number one. Is that where we're at? Oh no, it's on me. Is that where we're at? It's on you. Okay. Um, this sounds very, very. Um, biased i suppose but uh, i'm trying to be as objective as i can here talking about games that i think are underrated but a friend of the show charles mcgregor released a game called hyperdot back in january that i really had a great time with and i think deserves some more attention and it's uh available on game pass and also through prime gaming now i think he incorporated some some twitch interaction uh, but if you like uh geometry wars if you like arcadey games uh, a little bit of robotron in there just very twitch heavy reflex heavy great podcast arcadey games Hyperdot, check it out. Leave it a review on Steam. I know we were plugging it earlier this year on the podcast, so qualifiers. But I still really enjoyed my time with Hyperdot this year. Um, Jacob Geller, number one. All right, Leo, you thought you had the cheat codes earlier. Uh, I've oh. I've got stronger ones because my most <laughs> underrated game is called Mirdalsander Iceland. Come on, shut up. <laughs> Steam sort by recent. That's smart. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's for real. So this is there's there's this guy um, who makes just these. You know what? Sometimes you'll see like if you look at like the Dream subreddit. Sometimes there's like an unbelievably well realized environment, and that's kind of all it is. It's like look at this. I made this you know beautiful field of wheat or whatever. That's kind of what this is with Unreal Four, where this guy is just making kind of unbelievably pretty environments. And this one specifically, Mir Dalsender Iceland, it looks basically exactly like Death Stranding because Death Stranding right. looks like Iceland. Um, and and all you do there is, is you have a camera and you have kind of 
a number of certain angles of things that you're supposed to take pictures of. It's very, very light gameplay, but mostly it's just this like stunningly beautiful environment that you can walk around. Um, and and it's in first person. It's very immersive. It actually has a VR component if you want. Um, but I just found it very, very meditative. And on this year, where I haven't left my house in like nine months, I really appreciated just kind of like this chunk of digital tourism. Yeah, it kind of scratches that same itch as the Assassin's Creed Discovery Tour thing that I think was also released this year as well. Or like a nice sure, but I would I would never describe that as meditative. You know, that's like someone like and in the olden times they used <laughs> copper, and this is like <laughs> you know there are two kinds of vacationers: ones that actually relax, and then the others that like fill up their time with activity. Right, you could choose your path, but yeah, Jacob mm-hmm. and I are in different paths. I like a good tour guide at all my vacations. Yeah, uh, and so this is, you know, I chose my favorite one, but he actually has several of these with, like, different locales. Huh. And it's, like, it really just feels like kind of being in a different place, you yeah. know. However however he's kind of combining these assets or whatever, just feel like you are somewhere. And and that's cool. I really, really liked it. Yeah, good call. Uh, Serial Vasquez, sir, your number one. Yeah. Uh, uh, I'm just going to talk about uh, If Found, which is a very good adventure game. Uh, that is, I think, one of, in terms of like quality per hour, is maybe like the highest ratio of a game I've played this year. Yeah. It is two hours long. It is a really, really good two hours. Um, and it is, I, it is a story that you don't see a lot in games where it is not, there's like some sci fi elements, um, but it is mostly about uh, this, this teenage girl who's going this like weird stage in her life where she i think she moves back in from college and kind right. of um yeah her, her parents kind of uh are kind of uncomfortable because because it, it, i think part of it is like she is a, a trans character and so like it, a lot of it is coming to term her parents coming to terms with that and like kind of her coming back to uh ireland which is a weird like this is a a, a irish uh game in a lot of ways in that it, yeah. it like it tells you a lot about local irish landmarks and things that like it it has like a sort of hades-esque um kind of thing where you can highlight certain things and it'll define them for you and a lot of them are kind of like irish uh like uh i don't know how to pronounce this word like neologism so where it's just like here's some here's some local flavor uh, like language from ireland that we're going to define for you um but like the the big kind of mechanic is and it's effectively a visual novel um, the way you advance it, though, is that you kind of scrub the screen uh, on your PC and kind of like hover your mouse over it and kind of fill it out. Yeah. Uh, and at first, like I thought, like, oh, this is neat. And then maybe like 20 minutes into it, it's like, oh, this is not so neat because it's it, it's like it, it is like an overly long button press. But they do some interesting stuff with it, where as you're advancing and kind of uh, you know scribbling all over the screen to kind of like erase the the last uh, frame and draw on the new one you kind of have to do it multiple times and it layers on different story elements each time yeah and those thematically tie into the storytelling yeah i started it uh annapurna published it so it's got a certain quality bar there um i think the music is great and yeah i'm totally with you where it started out i'm like visually how much can they really shake this up but having so many different styles and stuff as you're 
using your mouse to erase the screen and reveal the new style underneath over and over and over again. It's a nice way to vary up what is, yeah, a graphic novel in a lot of ways. Or not and graphic like novel, the story, like, th- there's like a sci-fi conceit, so it's not like 100%, you know, right. quote, realistic, but it is it is a very down-to-earth story, like the kind that I think you can't really find in the AAA space, because at some point you have to throw in like some, you know, uh, mechanic in there at some point. But I think it, it is like a really strong story, like regardless of medium, and I think more more people should definitely play it. Yeah, sure. if found was that one. Uh, Anna, number one with a bullet. Yeah. Um. Again, skirting that. Like, I don't. I wouldn't say this is like an underappreciated game. Just sell it. Just sell but, it. Anna. But 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 Act Five of Kentucky Route Zero. Oh sure. Um, yeah. Uh-oh. Jacob um, Geller is hooting and hollering like the crowd yeah. for Arsenio Hall <laughs> silently. Yeah. yeah, I just thought that this was a stunning game, a, stun- a stunning ending to yeah. a really like captivating and compelling game. Um, and I think that it sort of maintains what the rest like of the game has done really well. Um, but it still manages to like introduce intriguing imagery um, and give us like a compelling ending. And I just think that it's a it's a really beautiful world sort of that they build and space to be in. And like, I was thinking about it and actually I tweeted this morning and Jake Geller responded, uh, uh, who might be on this podcast right now um, about like outer wilds and how that gave me just like, I don't know, listening to the soundtrack. I was like, wow, I really missed this game. And I was sort of like, did any games really impact me in this way this year? I was going over the list and I was like, I think Kentucky Road Zero. Interesting. Same like ballpark. Yeah. Uh, I, I will say though, like I wasn't necessarily, like I didn't even consider it for my underappreciated just because I, I appreciate it so much. So I guess, but <laughs> yeah, uh, because it like, I, yeah, I was scrolling down my list of games that I played and I was like, oh yeah, Kentucky Road Zero is the game of the year. But like, okay, let's see what else I have on here. <laughs> uh, but like, but you're right in that, like even in the, in, in kind of like the, as the swell for like game of the year stuff pops up, I haven't been hearing enough people talking about Kentucky right. Route Zero. It just came really, out so long ago. Bummer. Yeah, it came out in like January. So yeah, everyone yeah. forgot and about also it. also in uh, 2010. I believe <laughs> yeah, so. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, like well, the fifth act and it came out on Switch yeah. and like consoles yeah. effectively. Yeah, this so year. it is out now on everything. But yes, I hear you. Uh, Serial, you must be so happy that you have another yeah. cohort that's going to be fighting for Kentucky Red Zero for the 210s. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like, I think that the yeah. fifth act is, is especially like... Uh, interestingly structured because i feel yeah, like it it's is funky. both it, it completely ties into the narrative themes of that game but also does a thing that like not a lot of games with that kind of specific mystique do right which is right. To just pivot in a way that i think fits the themes of that story well in a way that you don't expect of like oh this isn't necessarily what i wanted but they're kind of right about the way they approach that ending sure uh leo vader number one sir Number one, Here it comes. another VR title Perfect. called Until You Fall. This has become my new VR game that tricks me into working out like Pistol Whip was yeah. last winter. It's a sword fighting game. It's a VR roguelike. So I appreciate that about it already. Like Walking Dead, it's a reason to get back in your VR headset a few times a week versus even like Half-Life Alex, which is amazing. But, you know, you do it in like four sessions and you're done. But I think VR benefits from having more games like this where you just want to keep coming back. But the the roguelike aspects of it, it doesn't really change that much. It's just uh, shuffling up enemies. But the combat is so dense and varied and there's so many different builds you can bring to it that it's really exciting. And the skill ceiling, like the learning curve, you feel like you're getting better and better. Basically what you're doing moment to moment 
is blocking enemies most of the time. They'll be hitting you with a flurry of swings and you'll have lines that are vertical, diagonal, horizontal, and you'll have to line up your blade to block them at the right time in the rhythm and in the order that they pop up. So you kind of get a feel for the sword fighting and where you can between blocks, like get a hit in with your other hand so you Mm. can break their guard and bring enemies down that way. But it's a really satisfying combat system with a lot of different weapons that all handle super differently. Like you can just get a fist gauntlet that you can't even block with, but you can, it gives you extra health and you can punch with it and dash more. It's really fun VR combat. And again, it just tricks me into working out by having me not only block, but like dodge downwards, just do a quick squat every once in a while or dodge to the (laughs) side. I, I will like work up a sweat without even thinking about it more so than like ring fit adventure where it's like, okay, I'm here to work out. It's like, I want to play this fun game and it's going to exhaust me. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. It's from, can I ask, Oh, please. Can I ask an absurd question? Do you feel like you're any better at sword fighting in the real world because of this? (laughs) Because sometimes with VR, that does feel like the case. I have thought about it and I really want to believe I would be. Guaranteed. Hey, I would be better at keeping track of all that different stuff going on. Yeah, you can set a better quest goal for yourself once COVID's over about getting really into fencing. Challenge okay. someone to a duel. Yeah, or just yeah, <laughs> jump right to that level. You're right. That's much more entertaining. Uh, I want to yeah. kill someone this month. <laughs> Great for the, for the Christmas special. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, this is from Shell Games, who uh, Jesse Shell, the founder of that studio in like Pittsburgh, I think he was the. Uh, college teacher of Neil Druckmann from Naughty Dog fame. Um, But they've been making VR games for a while, like uh, Expect You to Die, stuff like that. And so it's cool that they finally hit one that seems like people are really latching onto here until you fall. Although I just looked on their um, gamography and they also released in August of this game, of this year, Leo, a game called History Maker VR. Listening, uh, perform as a U.S. historical character in an immersive virtual reality environment. Create your scene, pick your props, read your script, and export your performance in this VR content creation tool. So if you need something for Great Goatee Hunt next week, you could perform as Pocahontas according to the little screenshot here. I'm wishlisting it. Uh, Hello. (laughs) Uh, My number one is uh, a game called Littlewood. Came out in the summer on Steam. It is eventually coming to Switch. I think it's going to have a huge boom once it finally hits Switch because this is a very Animal Crossing, uh, Stardew Valley-inspired experience if you like farming, especially if you like customization in those games. Uh, Dark Cloud-esque of just tweaking every aspect in your town, arranging all the houses, customizing the inside of the houses, uh, changing the terrain, changing everything. Uh, Littlewood is the game for you. It's a wonderful, relaxing game. Um, that yes has farming in it also mining exploring uh, there's also a lot of dating in there as well if you're into that sort of thing i think the internet in 2020 is into that sort of thing um it's a, just a lovely experience and it fixes or gets right i think a lot of things that animal crossing still manages to get wrong of just simple quality of life things about just yeah if you go up to an object it'll automatically take out the tool that you need and just take care of that it seems like going right from animal crossing to littlewood it's like oh my god okay here's a designer who knows exactly how to please a gamer Um, i also agree that animal crossing doesn't have enough dating Hanson. Right. Okay, good. <laughs> We're on the same page then. Uh, but yeah, Littlewood uh, from developer Sean Young. So hopefully it'll hit Switch soon and get a second win, but it's 15 bucks on Steam if you want to check it out there. Um, Jacob Gallery said you wanted to throw in some additional ones. 
Uh, yeah, just some honorable mentions. Please. I'm surprised that you did not mention Undermine. Um, yeah, I do which, like that game a lot. Yeah, I mean, it's like I, you know, as it, it, I think it probably did pretty well. I played uh, 27 hours of that game. Like I beat it. Um, nice. Yeah, the time really uh, sucks away. I think, strangely enough, I think Hades kind of deflated my love for Undermine a little bit. Where it's I went back to it after Hades, still had a pretty good time. All so right. it's not impossible to return to it. Um, Manifold Garden, I recently made a video about, but it's this kind of like infinite puzzle game where like the the worlds just repeat so you can like fall forever and you're like falling past the same things right. over and over. Um, let's see. Uh, I really like Streets of Rage 4, another, another kind of beat-em-up, which probably was not that underrated but just the number of times i've listened to the soundtrack like i feel like i should put it on yeah Sunday. like I, yeah i wouldn't necessarily go to bat for streets of rage 4 but i would go to bat for streets of rage 4's soundtrack yeah yeah that's about it um yeah that's that's pretty much what i got no that's great uh, i have some other ones that i could throw in there real quick um among trees still in early access but anna i think you joined me for that great goatee hunt that's a, a cool survival game of the woods it looks fantastic so it's one that even if it's not ready yet in early access eventually i think that thing will be very cool once it's a fully fleshed out experience but kind of in that same way i think you're talking about exploring iceland uh jacob i think just having a game where you can go chill in the woods slowly build up a cabin try not to get eaten by a bear certain thrill to going on some sort of adventure here in 2020 um and then uh also bug fables and CrossCode on Switch this year. Uh, they came out last year, or maybe even 2018, on Steam. Um, but both little RPGs are on Switch, and Bug Fables is very, very Paper Mario-inspired. So if you missed the early two entries of Paper Mario, check out Bug, Bug Fables. And then CrossCode is kind of like a 2D dot hack meets Legend of Zelda. Uh, but it's a yeah. Do you know it, Surreal? I, I played it uh, when it came out on Steam, and uh, I was. It was definitely one of those games that just has, for me, felt it had like way too many systems out of the gate. Where sure. it feels like you're playing this pretend MMO, right? So it has all those kind of trappings. But that was definitely just a game that I, I didn't necessarily fall off of. I just kind of stopped playing and didn't come back to. But right, what I played of it seemed pretty interesting for sure. Yeah. But and, uh, like on, on your uh, Paper Mario note, I, I think I do want to give another quick shout out to the Origami King, which also came out this year. Which I feel like it's weird to say that a Nintendo game was underappreciated because this game I think did sell pretty well. Mm -hmm. But I think that a lot of people were, you know, like rightfully kind of turned off to the the last couple of Paper Mario games. But I think this game, like I think the combat system is one of probably the most interesting RPG combat system I've played this year. It's weird in how creative it is um, and how different it is. Uh, it does get a little bit repetitive, but I think a lot of game, uh, like if you think about it, I think a lot of RPGs combat ends up getting pretty repetitive once you figure out the systems. Because like you end up, okay, I have these kind of like similarly leveled characters. I'm just going to mash A until the, the fight's over in a lot of cases. Whereas this, you at least have to do that extra layer of lining up the enemies appropriately. And like, it's just like maybe like probably one of my favorite written games of the year for yeah, sure. In it terms is of how consistently fantastic. good the, the jokes are. Yeah. Uh, Leo, have you checked out a game called Noita? Noita? Have you seen this on Steam? I haven't. I've seen it, but I haven't played it. Okay. It's from the creator of Baba is You. I'm pretty sure. I think he was working on this in early access and then went to Baba is You and then went back to finish it off and released it this year. Um, it seems like a sloppier, more chaotic Spelunky, but people love it. 
Uh, it's $20 on Steam right now, and the hook here is that every pixel is simulated. So it's a lot of fire effects, poison effects, acid effects, as it's eating away the world. But it seems up your alley. Uh, might be a good Great Goaty Hunt contender at some point here. But I think it was on a Great Goaty Hunt poll, and it didn't get picked, and it, so now I can never play it. Oh, it's worth mm. putting in another poll where it's just the only entry, though, I think. <laughs> okay, I think it's cool. going to be the way to go, yeah. Uh, I have an honorable mention. Oh, yeah, please. Uh, Gears Tactics. Oh, yeah. I feel like it was underappreciated. I think if you definitely, if you don't like Gears of War, and even if you don't really like tactics games, you might like it. It's, <laughs> it feels like just an action game you happen to control like a tactics game. Playing Empire of Sin this week on the Great Goaty Hunt, it was right. like, oh, yeah, this is kind of the tactics I'm used to, the really chunky movement and the kind of hilariously bad animations <laughs> on your kills and whatnot. Yeah. But then, but Gears Tactics is just unbelievably smooth, and it really has, uh, I don't know, it almost makes other tactics games look bad sometimes by how well everything flows together and how smooth it feels to play. Yeah, it, it's weird to think that like Microsoft of all people produced like poured this much money into a tactics game of all things in, yeah. in an age where like even XCOM wasn't putting as much money into XCOM as they're used to. <laughs> right. Uh, but yeah, I like what I played of it. I think I, I definitely found really strong in terms of like it feels like a more arcadey, faster kind of like it. It almost feels like to um xcom what immortals is to zelda where it's just like if you don't actually want like the difficult kind of thing that pushes back on you here's kind of a more like a faster take where you feel a little bit more empowered over the course of every turn but like you still kind of get that tension yeah yeah uh we have a bunch of community suggestions leo do you want to help me run through these yeah uh, Amonzo7 wrote in saying, I feel that Ori 2 is still an extremely underappreciated game with it being in the top two for my personal game of the year. Uh, and then Wes Bates also wrote in talking about Ori, but like, why aren't people talking more about Ori this year? It's driving me insane. There's definitely that groundswell out there that's ready to fight to the death. Hey, it's on my regular favorite games. I just felt like people liked it enough that it wasn't yeah, underrated. I, I feel like right. it is appropriately. Like everyone who talks about the game says it's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> Leo? Uh, Hunter S. Sachs says, for me, one of the most underappreciated games this year was Spiritfarer, of course. It lands in my personal top five so far. A charming blend of base building, upgrades, and open world to explore, borderline Metroid-like style of progression, and to top it off on the most one of the most touching stories of the year. And special shout out to Manifold Garden, as mentioned by Jacob Geller. Yeah, there we go. Uh, yeah, I love Spiritfarer. I'm I still playing through it in co-op with my girlfriend. We're having a wonderful time. Ooh, how is co-op? Because I'm about halfway through the game and i love it too but i've been debating whether i should jump in and co-op now i can't imagine playing it any other way really? and it's so easily drop in drop out like you'll have to explain things of course but yeah. you can totally just start playing at co-op you just start second player plays as the little cat and can do almost everything except talk to people yeah but can totally help manage everything on your boat it's super fun like dividing tasks that way i oh, love perfect. it co-op uh, Eater underrates him with a weird one, uh, but an appreciated one, saying this was a fanta uh, fantastic year for video games. I'm currently playing Last of Us Part Two, Hades, Destiny Two update, all three year, all three from this year's, and could be in my all-time favorites. The point is, Eater says it's not a game, but a service that I think is underrated. Apple Arcade. I canceled it after the launch months with Grindstone and What the Golf and got back into it recently because I subscribed to the Big Apple One package to get the cloud storage mainly, and it turns out it's way better than I thought. The Pathless, The Survivalist, A Monster's Expedition is a really cool, simple puzzle game. South of the Circle is a short and thrilling interactive story. So there we go. Etern, fighting for Apple Arcade. 
You know that yeah. the the Chinese room have a game on Apple Arcade? Really? Like the Dear Esther, everybody's gone to the Rapture people. It's huh. called Little Orpheus, uh, I think. I haven't played it because I don't have any Apple devices. Kind of makes me sad that it's trapped there, but I bet it's good. Yeah, hopefully we'll get to see it elsewhere, but it's cool yeah, that Apple's still funding this Yeah, we're starting to see games pop off Apple Arcade, right? Yeah. As, as it's been like a year since launch, some licenses are up. Yeah, I'm trying to think. There was a recent example of that. I yeah, Hiroshi and... To, I'm forgetting the name of the game. It's the Claymation inspired game on Switch. It came right. out around the same time as uh, Spirit Fair. Right. Perfect. Switch. There we go. Yeah. Uncle Crundle oh, writes oh, in with goes. a few Journey of the Savage Planet, Paradise Killer, Umurangi Generation, and Eichenfell. Loved all these this year, and I definitely don't think they're getting the praise they deserve, except recently Umurangi is getting more and more press, which is awesome to see. Yeah. Thank you, Uncle Crundle. What is Paradise, your name? Paradise Killer? Uh, yeah, I actually just started it literally last night. Oh, uh, wow. And it is a very, very uh, vapor-wavy uh, adventure game kind of thing, which is weird. Like, the, I, I tweeted about how it is giving off a lot of, like, the silver case, flower, sun, and rain vibes from Suda51, where it is, you are this character called Lady Love Dies, and it has a very, like, convoluted setup in that you are... You've been exiled off of this island f- for three million days. Uh, and like it is this island that is being rebuilt to like uh, pray, like pay homage to these alien gods that they're trying to revive, like the syndicate is trying to revive. Um, but everything is just like there are just these floating skulls everywhere, a lot of palm trees, a lot of like pink and teal. Um, and you're like you're setting out to solve this murder of like the the syndicate council was murdered and it was like a kind of like a locked door mystery so you don't know that for sure they're dead but it's like oh they they just we haven't heard from them from long enough and we found this guy's uh, blood in his stu- like their blood in his stomach so <laughs> we kind of assume he's the murderer uh, but go talk to people on the island and all the icons are just like these like JPEG like low quality like icons that you assume to be like, okay, you found this clue, but it's just like a, a, a very low res version of like a skull or something. Huh. Um, it's really style. Like stylistically, I think it's really cool. Um, don't go in with like super high expectations of the budget. Like, um, like everything, it looks like a game that is, it, that definitely kind of reined it in and said like, let's just make all this stuff, all these weird assets that we have, like the centerpiece of this because we don't have like a, a ton of fidelity but right um the story so far i think is is pretty interesting uh and like definitely like super stylish there we go paradise killer uh aiden hanlon wrote in with one that flew completely under my radar above my head both those uh saying i've honestly been a bit confused by the lack of love that's been given to legends of runeterra this year maybe the game is just not doing well in terms of player base or perhaps the flop that was artifact has hurt media coverage of ccgs in general but i've been shocked at how little i've seen on the many fantastic updates the game has received this year they've had a good cadence of adding new cards events into the game all the while um ben loses his spot um Mostly raising Thank money you. through cosmetics and giving away a steady amount of content for free to players. Mobile version is pretty smooth too. I'd recommend to anyone interested in a new CCG, whether a lapsed Hearthstone player or new to the genre. From the IGN review, the new gold <laughs> standard for digital collectible card games. I copied it in there because it's one of those things where I'm like, I don't know what Legends of Runeterra even is. It's like, oh, that's right. Okay, it's the digital card game that's set in the League of Legends universe. But then the reviews are just off the charts. Like the fact that IGN is lavishing that praise on there, it's it probably deserves a second look from people out there. Uh, Leo, you're into this stuff. Did you check this one out? 
Yeah, I mean, it's... I got into Hearthstone despite being a WoW player. There's no reason I shouldn't be able to get into Legends of Runeterra despite not being a League of Legends player. Right. But, and yet, I haven't downloaded it. Okay, so you didn't bounce off it. Okay, but so yeah. what's going on? Definitely worth another look. Um, real that quick reminds too. me, though, oh, yeah. of another game um, that I really enjoyed was Monster Train, the roguelike deck yeah. builder. Um, like, I'm, you know, that game was kind of like outside of my wheelhouse and I was, had so much fun just picking it up because like the road, like if you're approaching a deck, you know, if you're new to deck building in general, which I'm not super familiar with that, like those mechanics, like that isn't natural to me. It's like a rogue like deck builder, you know, like Slay the Spire, I guess as well is like such a great place to start. And it did it really nicely. Yeah, for sure. Um, Oblivious writes in. Um, I believe uh, talking about how it's not a game in particular, but how Pokemon had a great year this year uh, and they deserve some more love for everything they've done. And then also, God, I believe this is also Oblivious, saying a favorite of mine that got released in 2020 is the 1.0 release of Factorio. I'm sure fans of management sims were well aware of it, but if not, this game is an absolute time sink for people that link that like to create sprawling factories. Tons of mods to increase replayability make this on par with games like RimWorld in my book. Oh, yeah, I keep hearing about Factorio, but I haven't checked it out. Is it connected to the Satisfactory? I think those are from the same dev. But I definitely hear them mentioned in the same breath a lot. Right, right. Uh, Toby Martin writes in saying that uh, Dreams uh, is one of the, the overlooked games of this year. My favorite most overlooked game is probably Dreams, which I know was in beta last year. But about a week after it launched, I rarely heard anyone talk about it, which is sad because it's something I love popping into each week and seeing the weird stuff other players have made. Uh, Holden Hints also wrote in about the uh, turn-based witch theme RPG called Iconfell, which, yeah, he says that the combat feels somewhat similar to Earthbound. Oh, and it's Overworld, and the combat is a cross between Paper Mario and Fire Emblem. Um, Iconfell does seem cool. Yeah, I started it. Um, I've heard people compare the combat to Mega Man Battle Network as well. But, Surreal, I remember throwing it your way, because it does seem up your alley. Yeah, I, I looked at like some of the trailers. I ended up n- not having time to download it, but it, I have heard like a lot of uh, like, "Hey, this is really strong Earthbound vibes." Like, uh, like people seem to really dig it. Um, but yeah, th- that is definitely on my like increasingly enormous list of games that I should go back and play at some point. Yeah, Eichenfell was that one. Glad don't writes in. I thought I would just put my vote in for the most underappreciated game this year: Troubleshooter Abandoned Children. <laughs> That's not a real game, Leo. It's a tactical RPG that was released last April, made by a small Korean indie studio, and it has depth and scope that puts games like XCOM to shame. Jesus. It has everything you could want and more for the genre, yet no one has heard of it. I'll just say that if you're a fan of the genre and don't mind some slightly funky translations, this game is still being updated and is worth a shot. Troubleshooter Abandoned Children. I know. I looked it up. It looks great. It's overwhelmingly positive on Steam. This was one of those where it's like, how did this completely slip by me? But yeah, good call, Gladont. Uh, we have the names below in the description for folks. Uh, Doreen Clare wrote in talking about Resident Evil 3. She still feels like it's underrated. I I got it with you. It's appropriately rated. I don't uh, know. Appropriately rated. Not successful is not quite the same. <laughs> yeah, you could be right. Uh, Mick Manga wrote in, uh, says, well, thinking of underappreciated games of 2020, might I bring up Rune Factory 4 Special? I feel like being, it came out so close to Animal Crossing New Horizons, it got buried, but if you give it a shot, you'll find one of the best farming sim games of the year. And shout out to The Longing, for being one of the most interesting indie games of the year that no one has played. I don't want to spoil anything. 
this game blew my mind. So the longing, I looked it up on Steam, it is so weird. It's apparently almost like an idle game where you're just kind of like this little demon waiting for your king to awaken and you're in the underground. It looks fun and weird and I am so excited. I'm going to stream this uh, and maybe some other games that are from this underrated list uh, tomorrow on our Twitch channel. Uh, <laughs> streaming it will not be the most eventful thing. <laughs> Is it just super slow and that's kind of the charm of it? It's, I mean, it's it's kind of a, a waiting game in a really cool way, but it's like intellectually interesting, probably oh. more than like people watching you play it interesting. All right, maybe not, but I definitely want to check it out. Hey, yeah. I mean, look at it for sure. Okay, so you played a decent amount of it? I, I haven't I haven't started it yet, but I like I know I know about it. I know it's it's shtick um, and it is really fascinating. OK, awesome. The Longing is the name of that one. Um, Leo, do you want to read out the rest of these? Sure. Felipe Mosquito writes, maybe critically it's at the deserved level, but it seems to me that commercially and in terms of the gaming community conversation, Crash Bandicoot 4, it's about time, isn't as hot and IMO deserves more praise. It both brought the best aspects of the classics while giving some modern twists that didn't feel like gimmicks, only making it a better game. Maybe the $60 price tag hurt it, but it has a lot of content that justifies its asking price. Back me up here, Hanson. Yeah, hell yeah. Crash 4 rules! Jake Zielsdorf brings up Predator Hunting Grounds. <laughs> Love it. That had disappeared from my mind. Mm -hmm. I had a ton of fun playing it earlier this year with friends and picked it up again recently. It came out around when COVID lockdowns began. It was a great way to spend time with friends. Bob Buell, of course, writes, I gotta say the most unappreciated game of 2020 is Mario 35. Is it perfect? Of course not. But I feel like it didn't even make a splash and it certainly deserves better than that. Yeah, why didn't anybody care about that? I don't know. I, I think, I mean, judging from Giant Bomb at least, it seemed like, I remember Gersman talking about like, ah, the indie scene had done it better. Had taken the Mario Party or Mario concept with the Battle Royale and then it was nuked uh, from orbit from Nintendo. So maybe that, the hardcore Nintendo fans already knew about that indie version, so they're not as into this lesser version that Nintendo made. I don't know. Maybe. Ryan writes, with all the nonstop hype around Cyberpunk 2077, I'm surprised I haven't heard more about Cloudpunk, which is, in my opinion, the best Cyberpunk game on the market right now. You're a taxi driver in a Cyberpunk city just driving people from place to place, picking up lore and little stories that just kind of build up the dystopic city that you're living in. There's no combat and no real gameplay aside from driving around in a flying car and occasionally getting out to pick up collectibles and talk to people. It's always raining. It's always night. There's neon signs. There's flying cars. The it's game really is fantastic. so pretty. It's worth just like looking at it. Really? It's, it's gorgeous looking. Yeah. Yeah. Weren't they going to do a first person version or something? I feel like last time I checked into it, there was going to be a better way to play it than a than third person flying the little car around. I don't know. Huh. I feel like I was for it to be VR or something, but it does look amazing. Yeah, yeah. People are loving it on Steam, but yeah, uh, Cloudpunk is the name of that one. Cloudpunk. Finally, Cloudpunk. Hayden Hodge writes, Doom Eternal is hugely underrated, or at least misunderstood. Did you know that at any given time there are four cooldowns and three meters to keep track of? It is a truly fresh FPS, one that plays more like a MOBA than a Call of Duty. Wow. Yeah, I like the AAA yeah, stuff. I, can see that. I, I definitely have it still on my top ten, but it I definitely like that, that. That is a game that is hard to talk about because I think I, I definitely think it's a shooter that is a lot better on PC where you can actually manage how much that game is throwing at you versus playing it with a controller, which I tried. And is it's definitely like significantly harder and less fun when you're playing it with a controller for sure. 
Gotcha. Uh, but yeah, I want to check out some of these games. So I'll be streaming them on our Twitch channel. So twitch.tv slash minmaxshow. You can follow us there. And I'm probably going to be streaming on Friday. So follow us there and uh, come in and say hi. We'd appreciate it. So those are the under the radar games. But you might be asking, what is the most above the radar? Well, hmm. the Game Awards on Thursday, December 10th, will tell you. Uh, the big old Keeley <laughs> Awards. Uh, we'll be streaming our reactions for that one. Uh, always fun. To have the game awards and then also should be some reveals things are bubbling for what might be popping up there already so it should be fun to react to some stuff i mean last year they revealed that series x for christ's sake but they are going to have uh the big award the game of the year 2020 the contestants are doom eternal animal crossing new horizons final fantasy 7 remake ghost of tsushima hades and The Last of Us Part Two, The big old Jeff Keighley Awards, where it's community voted. Well, so, hi, so hang on. Well, it's like, so, okay, to just, we, we weren't on this ballot this time, but right. like at, at, during the Game Informer days, Andy at some point would send around a ballot saying like, hey, I need help filling this out. Uh, do you guys like, and here are a bunch of categories that we can nominate people for. Uh, you can write in whatever you want, but like, you know, we're, they limit you to five. And so we would fill that out and then send it in. So I think it does that for a bunch of outlets. So I think it is in a, like yes. the nominees, I think are from a wide variety of press outlets. And then the voting I think is also from the press outlets, but I think there's a lot of the categories are also just community voted. I think. So it's 10% of the community vote going in for the weight and then 90% from these press outlets. Yeah. Which we weren't included in it, but that's fine. Cause now we get a completely cold read on this. Um, but it's interesting to try and keep in mind that, yes, the, the deadline for that was, I think, early-ish in November, middle of November. And so that's why a lot of the Falls games aren't on here. So it feels like Game of the Year 2020 is basically first half of 2020. But, Leo, what do you think, looking at these candidates? Uh, Alex in our backstage pass chat got it from me exactly. It should be Ghost of Tsushima, but it'll probably be Last of Us Part Two. I think I'm trying to think of when Hades was at its peak because if people were filling out this ballot while they were loving Hades, the most they ever loved it, there's a chance that could squeak by. Mm -hmm. But definitely the one that I would like this. I think that it should be Hades and it will be Ghosts of Tsushima. Really? I think that that's yeah, I think that's going to win. I don't I don't think Last of Us 2 is going to be the sweep that people think it's going to be. Okay. Please uh, send Jacob Geller that clip after uh, yeah, Last of Us it, is man. just the sweep <laughs> of the century. I think especially for all the other categories, we're like best direction, best writing, best performance. I think Last of Us is going to mop the f up during the game. Okay, Awards. sure, and all the and all the like uh, kind of technical ones and and which I include performance in because it's video games. Uh, but I don't think it's it's going to take best. I man, I think it will. I think especially sending it out to all these outlets, the game that everybody can agree was so impressive. I don't think it's the most interesting choice, but that's why I think I'm kind of with Jacob in that. I think Ghost of Tsushima has a real shot because it is, I think last of us part two, I think the general consensus is that it's kind of divisive, which is a weird way to frame that. Yeah. But it's like people either really loved it or they were kind of like, I don't know about like, I don't know that I like the direction it's took. Whereas I think, uh, Ghost of Tsushima is a game that is like somewhat difficult to hate like i like the way a lot of people maybe were really turned off by the last of us and everyone's just like yeah that game's 
pretty good. And so like in terms of agree, like especially like the larger your staff is, the more likely that people are going to say if there's a like if they do any kind of rank choice voting, I could see Ghost of Tsushima like squeaking by like mm. in terms of it was on the most number of lists higher on average maybe than than The Last of Us. Yeah. All right, let's lock it in. I'm predicting Last of Us Part 2 will win the Game Awards for Game of the Year. Serial, what do you think? Uh, I I think it'll be The Last of Us Part 2, but I would love it for it to be Hades. Yeah. Anna? Yeah, same. I also think it's Last of Us Part 2, but, but I... Yeah. Animal Crossing, does it have a shot? Um... I think that Animal Crossing had like too many game sort of play issues to I don't know. Again, it's this whole thing. It's like, do we judge the game like by the gameplay or its social relevance? Like, right. what is your priority when you're picking game of the year? Like if you're talking about like overall impact, like I think, you know, Animal Crossing is is it like it brought an entire new demographic into gaming during the pandemic. But yeah, um. But Last of Us. Uh, Yeah. yeah. Oh, sorry. Geller, you think it's going to be Ghost of Tsushima? I think it's going to be Tsushima. That's bold choice. Just going out there. All right. And Leo? I'm going to say it will be Hades because I stand to gain more. (laughs) (laughs) Over-unders better. (laughs) It's like the equivalent of guessing 21 when someone guessed 20. It's just like I've got all the other ground covered, basically. Precisely. And there there is money on the line for this. And we can say Min-Max guessed it. That's okay, right. well, yeah. in that case, I'm switching mine to Animal Crossing. Well, I can't all go out the window. Wait, I'll, I'll, switch to Alex. I'll switch to Alex just so, so that between the five of us, I think we have as many yeah. nominees. Yeah, and, then, the and then we can go back and be like, wow, and then we can all be guest every single yeah. nomination. So I can't believe it was a stupid turnout. None of us got it right. Yeah, we're like one of those octopuses with the Super Bowl or whatever. We're running a streak. And that's yeah. a reference for everybody, I think. Hey, Jacob Keller, thanks for being here today. My absolute pleasure. Go look at my YouTube channel. It's it's good. If you had one video that you'd want people to check out, what would it be? Um, I mean, I'm fortunate enough that I think my best video is also one of the most viewed, which is called Fear of Depths. It's about caves and not much about games at all, but uh, I will make you interested in caves. <laughs> there we go. Check it out. Uh, the link Fear is in the description. Perfect. Thank you for being here, Jacob. We appreciate it, dude. My pleasure. Goodbye. Suriel Vasquez. Hello. <laughs> Do you know how this whole thing operates? Uh, so I plug in the mic and it goes into the court and then I'm talking to you through the internet, which Al Gore invented. And right. then that's part of our Patreon. That's right. That's right. And our Patreon is ultimately just a series of ones and zeros. But if you go to mm-hmm. patreon.com slash minmax with two ends, you can check out the benefit tier that's just right for you. Uh, if you support us at any tier, you can jump into the Discord, which is a uh, real Shangri-La on the internet. Just the nicest community that I've ever encountered on the internet. Um, and if you support us at a higher tier, we'll read a plug for you on the very podcast that you're listening to right now. Isn't that right, Leo Vader? That's exactly right. Woo! Hey, speaking of which, yeah. this is just something I've been thinking about. Have you ever felt out of sync with gaming news? Uh, yeah, why? Yeah, it feels like we only ever talk about games on this stupid show. <laughs> you get synced up with the Synced Up podcast. A fellow Central Time Zone podcast that covers everything from gaming opinions, detailed recaps of the weekly gaming news, and fun games sprinkled in between. Back in February, we decided to finally take the leap. This is not me anymore. It would be weird if I was thinking this. This is the Synced Up podcast talking. Uh, We decided to finally take the leap and chase our podcasting dreams, and we haven't stopped since. 
You can find the audio version by searching Synced Up Podcast in your favorite podcasting service and look for the blue and white logo. Or if you prefer video, you can find us over at youtube.com slash synced up podcast. This is S-Y-N-C, I should say, not like kitchen sink. Yeah. Where we also have other gaming-related content. If you check us out and decide to stay, you can look forward to new upcoming impressions and non-gaming-related shows, too. Again, that's youtube.com slash synced up podcast or search synced up podcast in your favorite podcasting service. We hope to see you there. Awesome. Thank you, Synced Up Podcast, for supporting MinMax. We hope uh, our community has been checking out your show, your latest episode on YouTube, and the podcast feed is about, uh, did you hear about this? About this scalper, this SOB that bought 3,500 PlayStation 5s. It's been hoarding them. Uh, that was me, actually. <laughs> sorry, oh, folks. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. One of those? God, I got to listen yeah. to this episode <laughs> of Synced Up Podcast. You know? yeah, yeah, talk all about it. Uh, but then yeah, also... If you- Oh you yeah. Support Mac, uh, Min Max at the ten dollar tier. I'll give you. I'll sell you one for like a more normal price. <laughs> there it is, everybody. Okay, wow. The new system. Uh, but then Synced Up Podcast also has uh, looks like a review for Hyrule Warriors: Age of Calamity on their YouTube channel as well. So be sure to thank them for supporting us in a big way and uh, throw a sub or a comment their way. I'm sure they'd appreciate it. Uh, also, thanks to IM8 Bit for their support of MinMax. We appreciate it. They want you to know that they have the PlayStation 5 physical edition of The Pathless from Annapurna. The PlayStation 5 physical edition. It comes with a giant fold out poster, reversible cover, a sheet collectible art card, there's a set of six, exclusive artwork by Emmy winner Elaine Lee, and it's worldwide compatible. So check that out. They also have the double vinyl on. Uh, the double album on vinyl for The Pathless uh, composed by Austin Winery. It's a very unique and great soundtrack so you can check that out at I Am 8-Bit Store and anything in that I Am 8-Bit Store which is oh so wonderful if you're looking for great Christmas presents it's a great place to go and anything in that store for under $100 you can use the promo code to get 10% off and of course the promo code this month is MINMAXMAS so all caps M-I-N-N-M-A-X M-A-S, so MinMaxmas for 10% off everything in that store. Um, and they are so great, they support our community by shipping out something from their store every single week uh, to whoever we deem as the Question of the Week winner. And uh, this week, they are shipping out the Cuphead double album vinyl soundtrack. Uh, a fantastic soundtrack. I think we auctioned one of these off for Extra Life and it went for... Buco Dolores, so the fact that they're giving these away to our community is wonderful, and you can go thank them for being so generous by checking out their store. They have a lot of wonderful stuff in there, and do some Christmas shopping. Use that Please, promo code. I uh, need, need to quickly say that I I was the person who bought that. My name is Buco Dolores. Oh, really? My, oh, yeah. Wow. That's my alias that I go by. Only when I buy things on auction, though. Oh, perfect. Nice of you to be here, Buco. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sorry. Let's really pay attention to these and choose the absolute number one question of the week because they're getting a great prize cooper murphy contender let's find out uh they say do you guys ever <laughs> a typo out of the gate yeah really rough start here <laughs> cooper says well we'll reword it do you guys ever think about elderly gaming right now people that are 60 plus didn't grow up with games so it makes sense there aren't there ain't that much gaming going on in the old folks home but i assume that when we get there we'll be playing games more than ever that being said, do you think the industry will adapt and make gaming more accessible slash market towards the elderly as time goes on? Personally, I can't wait to join an old geezer melee league. I um, will also I will that league. say that my partner's grandfather is the best uh, Dr. Mario player I've ever seen in my entire life. Really? Like, like he would blow like like professional grade level Dr. Mario player. 
Um, so elderly people do game. <laughs> Fight the stigma. <laughs> I feel like you were missing an out of the water comment there, but I hear you. Uh, that, do you think there's a way for him to play it? Or is, I mean, does he have an NES or how's he playing the sucker? NES, yeah. Oh, that's so weird. Because yeah. I just assume all old folks homes, it's still just a Wii uh, that they're all playing there. Yeah, I mean, this is like their family NES and they still have it like at their cabin or whatever. And so when they go, they all watch him play Dr. Mario. <laughs> that does seem fun. You could blow his mind by giving him a Dr. Luigi at some point. You wouldn't know what to do with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I don't think I think about this too much, but I assume just the industry will naturally adapt and probably by that time that we're all old and in the old folks home, there will be so many accessible controllers on the market that it won't be too much of an issue. I just imagine. Yeah, I don't. Uh, so I think with music, it's one thing because I think people just end up listening to whatever they grew up with in like their mid twenties. So, mm-hmm. but like with movies, like you'll see the occasional like maybe not now, but like you'll see the occasional like oh this movie is very clearly marketed towards you know people like people in their sixties or whatever. Um, I'm very curious to see what games like that look like because it's i sometimes think about like you know something like for example devil may cry you know am i going to be playing that when i'm 67 years old and you know like there are other other people in the like the the old folks home which is where everyone's going to go by the time i'm i'm that age uh they're just gonna be like oh like i'm reading a book about you know submarines or whatever and then like no i'm playing uh, this game about this demon hunter who is like thematically just seems so weird that i would still be doing that but there are you know like every once in a while you'll see people stories of people who are like no i still invest very much in like anime like statues and stuff even though i'm like whatever age um so I, I'm, I'm, I'm that's funny i'm very curious to see what that is like more so than like will the industry pivot to them because i think I, yeah. accessibility is how you do that right i think it's going to be a bigger thing than people realize in the same way that I'm just basing this off Twilight Zone, but in the same way that, you know, a bunch of geezers get together now and they're like, let's play kick the can. Woo. Or they, you know, hoot and holler over bridge or whatever. I seriously think they will have like CRTs hooked up in old folks homes in the future. And it'll be like, Hey, play some melee. Everybody. We have yeah. some computers. You can do a land Starcraft match if you want. I think it'll make sense. It is weird because, like, I think specifically the melee example uh, is going to be hard to imagine because even like people in their twenties talk about like, oh yeah, playing professional melee gave me like repetitive stress injuries. <laughs> right. Like I can't, I cannot play this game competitively anymore. It destroyed my hands. So like, obviously, not you don't have to play melee that way. But even on a level of like, my hands aren't what they used to be, and like I can't play this game as well as I used to. Like, is that going to be a thing? Or will people just gravitate towards like, you know, we've all been playing a lot of competitive Civ, you know, like and, and that is <laughs> that is where we've all gotten really into kind of shifts genres as you get older. But I don't think we're going to see a lot of games thematically like uh, tied to um, kind of like catering towards seniors. But I, I almost wonder because um, you think about, you know, the proliferation of like dad games, right? Does that eventually evolve on some level into the, you know, the proliferation, the proliferation of grandpa, of grandpa games, or grandpa just like games, games where, yeah, like, it's all about grandfathers because that's where all the designers are now, right? Like they've all had grandchildren. So it's like, I'm going to make a game about my grandchildren. Oh, so you're saying the game will be about Atreus's son in God of War? Exactly. Yeah. So it's, it'll be, it'll still be about Kratos. But it'll be about his relationship with Atreus' son instead of, mm, or like just wow. the idea of, I can't believe Atreus sent me off to the the old folks mountain or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Do you th- okay? Top top three grandparents in gaming. Go. 
uh, the boss. She's uh, not a grandparent. Professor Oak. Is he a grandfather? Ooh, yeah, he's Professor Oak's great. Grand yes, yes, absolutely. That's that's number one. The boss. I mean, has the, has Ocelot had kids? No, I guess maybe not. Yeah, yeah. or isn't it? it, it no, it, well, Ava just had kids, right? Like Big Mama. Uh, right. Did, I don't think Big Mama had. I don't. I don't think either of them had children, right? So no. Yeah. You got to stop barking up that tree. You got to let Metal Gear go. Unless it's like, I mean, maybe the end had some grandkids, but still ill-defined. Yeah, some. Yeah, he had some foliage. Uh, what about, um, don't you see some Zelda grandparents in Wind Waker? Isn't it like the grandma yeah, on the island or the whatever? grandma in, in Wind Waker, yeah. yeah. Okay. She's kind of up there. I don't think she's like enough of a present character in the story, but I have to imagine there are better, but she's a good one. Mm. Uh, Adrian Adrian Torres <laughs> here. The bar's high here for grandparents. It's really hard. Uh, Adrian Torres in the Backstage Pass says the grandfather in Stardew Valley. Yep. We stand a legend for that grouper. <laughs> a skinny legend. Yeah. Ooh, interesting. Panda hands, uh, old Cranky Kong. Mm. Yeah. So the yeah. list is overfloweth, but I think Serial's right. In 50 years, it's going to be nothing but grandpas. The yeah, walking yeah. simulators. We'll get a lot slower. Oh, exactly what the internet's <laughs> no, been screaming or, for. Or they'll get faster. <laughs> uh, yeah. MLA writes in and says, do you think games on the PlayStation 5 slash uh, Series X will eventually spare us the choice between frame rate and fidelity? Or do you think this will be the selling point of pro models of the consoles? I will swallow my tongue if they try and pull that marketing out of for the third console launch in a row if they try and sell an Xbox Series X Pro and then it's like now you can run at 4K and 60 which you know they're gonna it's gonna be 120 for, like 120 hertz uh, like 8K or whatever you know like they're just gonna do they're just gonna up the numbers on it until how many that, times that can you beat be that drum they've already uh, hit that drum so many times well it, I don't I would I don't even think it's about whether or not that beat is successful it's about the fact that like at some point like they gotta sell they gotta sell the new hardware and you know, to, to some degree, it helps to sell the new TVs, right? To say like, oh yeah, this 8K display that you're not really sure if you can tell the difference yeah. on, like this is the machine to op optimize for it, right? Like it, it's it's gonna happen. That's the thing though, is I don't think in five years they're gonna be able to make a system that can run 8K games at 60 frames per second. I think it'll still be a choice. Right, I think you're right. And it even is now it's like Siege on PS5, you choose between 4K 60 or... 1080 120 right right and i think that might still be the choice for a long time yeah i believe for ori it's 124k or you can choose between 6k 60 it's real it gets so funky and weird but actually i've been testing that this whole stuff a lot uh because i got uh, a new tv i was shamed too much on instagram for my old tv um, so I just said, all right, I'm all in. And I got that 4K, that LG CX thing. And it's like this 55-inch TV, and it's like a foot away from me. So I really am, I've been soaking this stuff in. And I've been looking for areas just to test it out. And so, yeah, playing Ori at 120, I played Gears 5's multiplayer just to experience 120. And overall, you know, a little underwhelming. Obviously, not as big of a leap as it is from 30 to 60. I would love to blindfold people and then quiz them on what is the frame rate here? What is the resolution? I think guesses would be all over the place. Um, but I set up that new TV. 
uh it's good i'm enjoying it uh but i cannot describe how satisfying it was to once i had it all set up to peel the plastic off the front of that tv over the entire screen it was ecstasy I mean, maybe they could pivot to that. That's the next selling point for TVs. <laughs> is more fun to peel than our competitors. I think it's a note. None of the consoles had good peel on them. Yeah. I wanted to peel something off That's that funny. Xbox. Every single side of that cube, please give it to me now. Mm-hmm. Nothing. Yeah. It should, come into an, it should come in an oversized version of itself where you're slowly stripping it like a, like a black monolith that you get to peel the layers off of. Right. Like, it really like should spend more money on packaging. Mm. Yeah, or somehow make like the on switch for the PS5 like bubble wrap and you have to pop one to turn it off mm. and pop another one to turn it off. Yeah, yeah. you have to build the uh, Rube Goldberg machine that has to turn on your PlayStation 5 every time. So it's like a 30 second sequence that it just right. every time it ends with like some whatever those uh, whatever those boards are called that kind of drip water. And that ends up being the thing that hits your PlayStation 5's power button. <laughs> what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Makes sense. That's a good point. I know what you're talking about. Uh, <laughs> Matt Lynch says, I can't think of indie underappreciated games this year, but you guys are the most underappreciated gamers. Come on, Matt. Anyways, I recently got a Series X and Game Pass after never owning an Xbox One. Oh, I downloaded Gears 5 because it's supposed to look great. It does! And I enjoyed the first Gears on 360. I thought I'd be able to get the gist of the story since the first one was just big beefy men, good, big beefy alien things bad. Apparently a lot of other things have happened since the first one and I have no clue what is happening in the story. Have you all ever made a big jump in games that have a linear story before and did it affect your enjoyment of it? Uh, I made the jump after playing Yakuza 0 and Kiwami. I made the jump to 6 because that was the one that came out right after that. Uh, and I don't think it really harmed my experience too much. Really? I mean, they have like these synopses, uh, like the the first section of the game is like you can basically go read like the important bits from all the other games. But I guess I'm less kind of um, compelled to always like, oh, no, I got to make sure to I got to stay up on it. I feel like like as long as you have the gist of it i think it's fine and those games specifically feel very episodic in terms like they're usually pretty self-contained um outside of like some recurring things so um there's a there's a i forget what her name is but in yakuza one um kiryu starts taking care of this little girl and by six she's a teenager right she's like Mm. she's had this kind of weird pop idol career uh but like i i feel like i can make that logical leap of okay some stuff has happened as long as you can kind of come into a story and say like some stuff has happened. It's fine. Um, I like. I, I really feel like. Oh, I should. Like, I'm very confused about this, and so like, I still really like Yakuza Six a lot. Yeah. I'm trying to think. It's not like the deepest entry, obviously, but I played Bioshock Infinite without playing any Bioshocks before it, which is like okay, that's fine. You kind of get the gist. Lighthouse has got it. But the part that was weird was I played Bioshock Infinite's DLC, Burial at Sea which is all just fan service and expansion of Bioshock 1 before playing Bioshock 1. And mm-hmm. so I remember like enjoying it fine, but just nothing had a big impact on me in the way it was obviously intended to. So I messed that up. But then obviously I went back <laughs> and played Bioshock 1 to, to you know, get my gamer card. So you can't judge me for that. Mm-hmm. Anybody else have an example of that? I mean, I played Miles Morales without, mm. you know, fully playing the first Spider-Man game. That was the most recent, you know, example of that yep. I could find. And that was, I mean, that's kind of like designed, you know, to not need that prior knowledge. I don't know if you felt like the story from the first game really helped you experience the game more fully. But 
you just click through the synopsis at the beginning of the game. I felt pretty yeah, good you, to go. You get the idea that Miles was bit by a spider at some point, even if the mm-hmm. way that it happens in that Spider-Man game is very silly, where I think like the spider rides in a box that Mary Jane was carrying for like uh, hours and hours, and then the second she sets it down, then it jumps on Miles. It's a very weird situation, but anyways. Uh, Rich McLaughlin says, hello, everyone. Hello, Rich. Perfect. Um, What's the cohort's take on emulation? Whether it's game preservation, accessibility, or ease of use, do you have any thoughts on the topic? Love it. Oh, it's great. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Do it. If you own the original copy, are you going full pirate, do what you want, let your... Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. (laughs) It's... we've, We've learned over these years that it is up to us to preserve these games. And I don't know, the more people have it, the better, I think. It's maybe past a certain year, number of years, if you want to be, you know, if you want to have morals about it. But I think it's just good that these games get to live on beyond their systems and beyond their physical printings. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I try to buy games, you know, obviously as much as possible. But it, I think it, it from that historical angle is definitely where I approach it from. Of like I have a copy of Paper Mario, the, the thousand year door, but it, it is so much easier for me now to set up, you know, like an emulator to get it running, even though I have a copy sitting in my house. So in that case, it's like, yeah, it's fine. But even if I didn't, like, if, even if I had lost my copy at some point, like, as long as you have paid for that game, I think it's fine. But in, in like, in general, I don't necessarily like to, like, okay, Cyberpunk is out. Let me go pirate it. I right. Think that that to me is, feels like a thing where it's, okay, that's a little weird. But, uh, yeah, I think Leo's right in that, like, companies don't really do a fantastic job. I think a lot of the time, a lot of community-driven efforts to preserve that stuff outpace them completely. Yeah. And so I think I think it's, like, straight-up important to support those endeavors because, like, the companies always do, like, in a lot of cases, the bare minimum to preserve those games. Yeah. I felt a little weird playing uh, an emulator of the Apple II when Anna and I streamed Oregon Trail a couple months ago. When was that? Last month or something? Um, but it's like, well, I guess I own those games back in the day although who even knows i mean it's some probably copied copy of a floppy at that point um so yeah i think that was kind of like a little barrier of like okay i feel comfortable streaming emulation in these specific instances here at midmax so uh should have gotten apple too yeah <laughs> you're right figured out some way to get that video signal out that would have been a really fun challenge yeah should have gotten an apple too with hdmi <laughs> <laughs> michael lynch says hey clcs you're discussing soups last week and I have the perfect controversial statement to make. Peanut butter on bread is perfect for dipping into your chicken noodle soup. These two things should not go together, yet they hold each other in a warm, delicious embrace. I can see it. Yeah, I mean, like, peanut sauce is what? It's peanut butter, soy sauce. Like, yeah, it's okay. a pretty, t- like, I love, you know, you dip your spring roll in peanut sauce. It's true. I can weirdly see the noodle peanut thing it works i think like the buttery liquid part is the part that's freaking me out butter and peanut butter shouldn't go together there's (laughs) something about like the soup part that i don't think works but if it's just that's yeah i feel like my food like twitter has ruined any kind of conversations about food because everyone's always trying to like come up with their like hot take like oh uh, cereal is a soup or like, so like, so I've just become completely immune to anything being surprising about food just cause like, yeah, just eat whatever. Like don't, you don't need the validation of like, this is this thing or like 
here's like you know d- dipping whatever into whatever just eat whatever you want man it, it, boneless it's wings like, aren't wings yeah yeah exactly like put ketchup on your pancakes i don't care <laughs> like it just eat whatever you feel whatever you like i i i, I just get frustrated because it's like everyone tries to pitch their opinions as being more right. controversial than they are <laughs> and with food being like the most personal thing in the world in terms of like you know you literally have different tastes than everybody else so yeah just it, it's fine put pe- put peanut butter in your soup go with god i want to eat man (laughs) well okay well then you go into legal territories but you know if they can say i guess um (laughs) this is uh have you all ever seen the cnn interview video with the guy uh he interviews like cannibals um what okay he's like like a religious studies correspondent and he goes and the video is very controversial because it really you know he there's you know really rich religious tradition he goes to like the most niche like most sort of you know like there are problems behind how this coverage is working but (laughs) we watched this on sarah pod stream um the other day it's um okay let's see here cnn cannibal sorry guys uh if you just search CNN Cannibal, it's with uh, Rezla Aslan. Oh yeah, okay. But the point yeah. is, is he is he enjoying it or? Well, so he's like sitting down with his cannibal, and like he's getting more and more uncomfortable. Um, and he eats human brain, and then there's a point where this guy like smears this stuff all over his face, and he asks the translator like, "What is this?" And he's like, "Oh, those are the human ashes." Uh... And he's like, "Oh," and then this other guy who's interviewing puts like a like a crown of like bones on him and he's just like straight up to the camera like maybe this was a mistake um <laughs> <laughs> and then they huh they aired that they yeah. aired that they really aired that cereal <laughs> i was shocked Dear, i was I like this it. reflects so poorly on you but hey it's entertainment i it's guess entertainment. i mean I remember hearing somewhere that like turns out humans taste really good. And I remember hearing somewhere too that like people that have eaten chimpanzees, people are like chimpanzees are freaking delicious. And the fact that we're so close to chimpanzees, it like backs it up. We now have several sources that humans are the tastiest food, I think, on earth. Min snacks episode a million. <laughs> imagine hearing imagine like having that come up on like, you know, whatever uh recommendation service you get like Pinterest where it's like or like you see, you see someone on Discord be like, "Bro, low key like people, like you should, you should try people." Dude, you want some people? I mean, Leo, have we talked about this before? We probably talked about cannibalism a lot. About that time you ate people? Yeah, yeah. no, but Leo, if I made test tube human meat, but it was actually human meat, would you eat it? Yeah. What if it was like genetically your mother's meat? That'd probably cross a line for me. But if there was just human meat that was like, yeah, this dude died a few minutes ago of natural causes. We prepared this for you. It's right here. We're just going to throw it away. If you don't want it, I would eat it. Wait, not even test tube? You just eat a dead man? I, yeah. <laughs> I like the situation where someone dies and the first instinct is not for them to get like an autopsy for them to go to the morgue. It's just like, look, if someone doesn't eat it, we have to throw it away. It's usually the coroner's We're first line. Yeah. Does anybody want dibs on this first? Someone ordered human and they didn't come get it so someone has to eat this man okay okay 
Anna, just to look, we're already down this rabbit hole. Yeah. Like, okay, yeah. let's go. Not Leo's freaky. For the audio listeners, he's licking his lips now as well. That's really <laughs> unnerving. But for the audio listeners, or never mind. The point is, Anna, if human meat was grown in a test tube and you're like, hey, you want to try this human steak? Could you make human steak? And then you're like, sure. And you're chewing it. And then somebody said, by the way, that was made from your DNA. Would that weird you out? Or would if would weird you out more if somebody said, like, by the way, that's... It's my DNA? Yeah, versus, like, by the way, that's your boyfriend's DNA. Like, what would be weirder? To have to be eating your own flesh? <laughs> <laughs> or or my, my boyfriend's. Um... I think I think it would be weird weirder to be eating my boyfriend's because I feel like there's an ex, there's an extent to which like I exist in my own body like yeah. aren't I consuming myself all of the time in the act of aging I don't know <laughs> I think that's what aging oh, is it's just eating yourself from the inside yeah out. yeah yeah it's just eating yourself slowly over time and you're regenerating <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah I guess time's kind of eating us slowly um, like a little nibble at a time but I I. I think I would spit it out in both circumstances. And then though. no matter how far away Leo was, he would catch it before it hit the floor in his mouth. Yeah, because that's prime steak. That probably costs like, you know, how much do you think a human's steak oh, Filet mignon. Uh, <laughs> hey, Darkfish Days wrote in, get a load of this, um, saying, would you be more or less interested in free living games if they had a scheduled ser- uh, server shutdown end date? Weird question. More or less interested. My gut was more, but now that I think about it, I feel like knowing that my whatever progress I made would disappear would probably make me less interested. But I think I would be more just for the historical angle of, oh, I gotta get in and check this thing out just in case it's ever relevant. I want to write this down as a game I technically played so I can keep my big tally rolling. Right. I I would maybe play it, but I don't know that I would get invested in it. You know? Right. Of course. Uh, Joshua Wilgenin writes in and says, Hey, Benny and the Benny Singers. Sure. I love RPG battle systems, but hate fantasy and anime. Eternal Sonata, for example, is an absolute masterclass in combat, but I can't stand the rest of the game. What am I to do? I mean, you can maybe this year play Yakuza Like a Dragon. I know it advised by a lot of like storytelling conventions, but, yeah. but it's not It's not anime. Like, insofar as like the aesthetic is very like anime, I don't think... I think it. I think it passes that test of like it is not, and it is a very much J drama. I would say that it yes. is it very much in that mold. But I think that I maybe gets past a lot of that superficial kind of like, oh, there's. I just don't like the way this looks. Which there are certainly some games that I have uh, that kind of reaction to. But I think I'm okay with you. I think you should at least try Yakuza. I think. I think that's true. I think yeah, the writing in Yakuza I think is so good. That if it's the writing in anime that really drives you nuts, I don't think that'll be the case in Yakuza Like a Dragon. Yeah. There's definitely Great. not like a Paimon-esque character, for example. Yes. In, in yeah. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Um, okay. Paimon tangent. Mm. Uh, did you did you see that the voice actor who voices Paimon um, like made a video is basically like my boyfriend doesn't listen to my Paimon dialogue while playing Genshin Impact. <laughs> um, it was the funniest thing. Um, 
I can post it. I can, that could be my get a load of this later on. I can send you the link. But um, in that note, like also I feel like you're kind of safe if you try older JRPGs, like even if there are some of the sort of like anime tropes baked into them a little bit, or like the character design is a little anime inspired. Like it's, if it's a super Nintendo game, you're not going to like, I don't know. Have, it's more I tame. Think, yeah. Yeah. It's definitely more tame. Like, could play Chrono Trigger, right? Like, is right. that too anime? I don't think so. I don't yeah. think so. Mm-hmm. Um, Alex Brinegar says, Hey, cohorts, if you weren't working in the gaming industry, what do you think you'd be doing? Do you have a secondary passion you'd follow, or did you have a fallback job in case working in this industry didn't work out? Tricky. Somebody with yeah, that? I think I definitely entered the industry more through writing than, like, oh, I want to do whatever it takes to cover video games. So, like, I just want to write, and I like video games. So those are the two things I'm putting together. So I think I would I would, ima- I would like to imagine that I would be a writer in some way, but I'd probably either end up being a, a teacher or maybe a lawyer. Oh, really? Yeah. Teacher? Yeah, because I think, like, I took, I mean, I took English uh, in college, which is, like, kind of a path that you go on to, to be a teacher. Um, but... I'm definitely glad that I'm in this field and not teaching because like it seems relatively thankless, but uh, I would, I also did kick around the idea and I never really followed through on it of being a lawyer just cause I like the, I like the, the kind of min maxing of rules, if you will, of just mm. like, okay, if I, I know this rule and this rule, so I can put this two together and kind of make an opening argument along those lines. Do you and I also lo- just like those Ace Attorney games. That's what I was going to say. I think you just <laughs> like those games, man. I uh, could do this. No, this guy no. is just, I just go around four environments and pick up three clues. I could do that. <laughs> you are doing it. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Uh, yeah, I think I'd probably just stay on the path that I was on before I got into the game industry of just, yeah, video production is kind of the easy fallback, right? Of just probably being a producer at some marketing agency or something draining like that. But, uh, Actually, I take it back. I don't think it was that draining. You know, like all the video production stuff I did before getting into games. I still loved all those videos and I was almost as enthusiastic about editing. Even when it was a boring topic, I just enjoyed the process so much that I think it would have been okay-ish. Although, Leo, I don't know if you have this. Uh, It's mainly just a weird insecurity, but I remember, you know, back in 2008, 2009, when I was really pushing to get into the video field and, you know, applying for jobs and all this stuff, I felt like, all right, I'm pretty competitive with my competition out there. And then starting around like 2012, 2013 or so, every demo reel I see, I'm just like, how am I supposed to compete with this? They have like 14 drones flying up their butt with like a shotgun mic the size of Utah. It's like, okay, I just, I can't compete as a video producer out there anymore. Yeah, I think, I think you're just gonna have to take it to the next level and like eat a man video. (laughs) So, right. it's just, so I pitch my video production services and the demo reels just footage crudely shot of me eating flesh. Yeah, I think I mean that that will definitely make you stand out. All right, a well, drone drops tip. a human steak with a GoPro on it, and you catch it in your mouth, <laughs> and there's just like that Jurassic World shot of the dinosaur jumping up out of the water to eat it. Precisely. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, I absolutely have that. I don't feel like a video producer at all. I feel like I just happened to have that be my job. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny how that works out. Yeah. I think it's also, um, you know, like Alex Van Aken, who just got hired at Game Reformer. Like I looked at some of his stuff. I'm like, this, everything is shot so well. How am I supposed to compete with that? He like understands (laughs) cameras. That's not fair competition. How am I supposed to get a job at Game Informer? (laughs) 
<laughs> I don't know. I don't know, everybody. Uh, I always wanted to be a writer in, like, a TV sitcom. That was my dream for a long time. Mm. Just be in a writer's room for something funny, which I still think would be super fun. Yeah. And the little little tastes I've gotten of that over the years, working on projects, has been, yeah, I, I love that stuff. What, um... What situation comes to mind when you think of simulating a writer's room in your real life? Uh, like E3 Kings, doing that with Jeff Cork, yeah. of like sitting down, having the TV in front of us and like bringing up the footage and like, what about this moment? What could we do with this? And just spitballing stuff back and forth and just so many t- trash jokes for the one that breaks through. It was like, yes, it was worth discussing this. We found it. Yeah. And also just like uh, breaking stories too on things like Games Are Dumb and For Kids uh actually like thinking through how a story might go is very satisfying and doing what makes sense and is feasible i just i love that process yeah why don't you do more of that i'm trying well i mean i feel like you're it's different stuff for like your personal channel would you ever try and go and tackle something larger and more narrative i know there's like a narrative theme running throughout but i i don't know do you feel like you're breaking stories for your personal essays uh, specifically for this month, yes. Oh. Actually, but that has definitely been a goal. And certainly when it's not COVID time, I would love to be collaborating more and doing things like that. Yeah. But yeah, I, yeah, it's more a dream than something I get to do very much or okay. do very much. Ian T. Clark says, so far I've played 27 games that have released this calendar year. Of those 27, I've only rolled credits on five of them. Some of these new games like Spellbreak and Bleeding Edge aren't games that have traditional campaigns. What percentage of new releases do you typically see through to the end or at least give a significant amount of your time? Small. Small. I probably have a... I think I have a pretty good track record, but I think it also means I play way fewer games. Yeah. I think there are very few... I'm looking at like my list of every game I've played and I feel like I've finished most of them. That's yeah, amazing. Uh, I would yeah, love to compare this list at the end of the year. What's that? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, I would say like the the biggest one that I haven't finished is Ghost of Tsushima. I think that is probably one that I ended up putting down partway through. And I technically have Assassin's Creed Valhalla, which I feel is aspirational because I don't know if I'll, I'll, at this point, I don't know if I'll have time to get around to it, let alone finish it. Oh, God. And after playing Immortals, I'm basically like, well, I got my open world fix. What's that? There's another 70-hour game in that <laughs> very similar genre to play? Yeah. That's tough. I, uh, yeah. I've been going back to Valhalla, actually. I was, when I got my new TV, I wanted something to uh, just kind of show it off, push it to its limits a little bit. And I was like, okay, Valhalla seems like a good one. I'll just see what it looks like running on the new TV. And that just brought me down a rabbit hole where now I'm back into it in a way that I thought that I'd be into Immortals. Um, but Valhalla, there's still a lot of fun to be had there. Still fun to be had. Uh, just to humiliate myself, yeah. live on stream, I'm looking through my Steam library. I'm pretty sure the only games I've beaten this year are Last of Us, Half-Life Alex, and Avengers. No shame here, man. No Thank shame you. here. You've played Thank enough. You. You've played enough. You can rest. <laughs> uh, Zach Killian. When eat you? <laughs> oh, no, he's gone. <laughs> Zach Killian says, hello, Min Max. I was going through some old boxes recently and found a few old strategy guides I had back in the day. Ocarina of Time, Majora's Mask, Prince of Persia, Sands of Time, and Mass Effect. What strategy guide strategy guides did you all own? And more specifically, what was the last strategy guide you purchased? This is such a good question. Yeah. The last strategy guide I purchased was like the last guide that it was like, all right, 
was the last guide that I could buy before I understood how to work the internet. Um, (laughs) So it was literally like the Pokemon Ruby and Sapphire guide was the last guide that, I mean, that my parents bought for me. Um, But ever since then, it was like, okay, just going to look it up. (laughs) (laughs) With that. Uh, I think I didn't buy too many. I certainly liked leafing through them at friends' houses and stuff, but I think Xenosaga episode one, Zerwildermacht, uh, was the last one I bought. And I, I didn't like it cause I got too addicted to it and it was just glued to that thing throughout the whole experience. And I don't, I didn't really like that experience of going through an RPG like that. Yeah. I was definitely the, the guy who did that a lot or growing up, uh, where I would just like basically buy what are i think um i don't know if it was prima but it was some company called versus books that i think would release like their perfect guides for pokemon and it would straight up break down like okay here's every encounter here's all the pokemon they're using and their level so i would know what what i was getting into yeah um, so i followed that stuff pretty religiously but i think the last guide that i ended up buying was the street fighter cross tekken guide oh weird. weird but i used it as like reference because they had like all the frame data which ended up being kind of relevant a couple months in but uh, I, I bought that and kind of like was sat, sitting here like mathematically figuring out combos and stuff, which is kind of interesting, but probably not a thing that you can feasibly do now because those games get updated so quickly. What is your read on Street Fighter Cross Tekken? Correctly rated, uh, underrated, overrated? I think it was correctly rated more as like the f- the first big like Capcom screw up post Street Fighter 4. Uh, in terms of like their marketing in uh because it was like one of the first cases where it's like oh the dlc is on the disc how dare they uh mm. i think the gem system wasn't like as good as they needed it to be because it just felt like really either ridiculously broken or not interesting uh bonuses that you could give your characters but yeah i think the combo system in that game is one of if not my favorite combo system in a game ever because it felt like this really cool combination of street fighter and like just it felt like a really broken version of street fighter where it's like oh yeah that that just combos now uh like you can just break like these two characters basically give you whatever you want you can do whatever um but i I liked it more than a lot of people but i totally get why people just did not click with that game yeah there it is everybody write it down uh preston wilkie says hey icebox and the little giants that's us my wife and I are moving north this summer. We're from Houston, so any north is too cold at our current level. We're asking for must-have cold weather items for our family for Christmas. So at this point, what are your favorite go-to old reliable cold weather wear? Long johns, down vest, sweet trench coat? Need to know. You will need one sweet trench coat, and your entire family needs to fit in it, Preston. <laughs> Family size trench coat. Yeah, that's right. Practice walking as a group now before you go. <laughs> that's right. You can uh, only get huddle. it at Duluth yeah. Trading Company. Um, Leo, I got some long johns from none other than Uniqlo. Leo, a couple years back, I you got to get comfortable long johns. You'll you'll know you'll look like you're wearing regular pants, but you'll know you're wearing some pajama pants every single day, and it'll be the pride and joy of your life. You're going to make me go back to buy some because after you're raving about Uniqlo, who's definitely not a sponsor, they'll never be. Um, A couple weeks ago on the podcast, I went and checked them out and they had on their site, uh, what is it like? Not heated pants, but basically cold resistant pants. I think they call them like heat tech. Mm -hmm. And so I bought a pair wearing them today, went for a walk for the first time game changer 
Like oh, growing yeah. up in Minnesota, I'm just used to most days, unless you have snow pants on, walking around outside, your legs are going to be just a little uncomfortable, that 10% uncomfortable. And removing that, what a delight. That's awesome. So I'm glad to hear you. that. Thank you for changing my pants. <laughs> Leo, I need to ask a clear, an important clarifying question. Do you wear just long johns out? <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, but you, yeah. don't feel, you won't be contacting your other pants, you know? It doesn't yeah. make a difference what those yeah. are. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Okay, I just wanted to make sure it's unclear. <laughs> <laughs> um but i can also yeah a third recommender of the heat tech like i have i have their shirts and their long johns and they're really nice i'm actually wearing a <laughs> i'm wearing a uniqlo uh like heat fleece heat fleece you know, turtle neck thing right now um nice it's yeah. taken over. There you go. There you go. Also, wait, other piece of advice. Always mittens over gloves. Like mm. any day of the week, mittens over gloves. Like mm. I'll fight you on that one. I got uh, I got those gloves that have like the The choppers. What? Chopper never mind, never mind. Oh never no, mind. not choppers. No, no, no. Uh like they have like the smartphone sensitive tips or whatever, so you can still use your phone. And then they stopped working. Did those just like fade with time? Or is something wrong with my body and phone? I don't think they fade. I feel like I, I I have like a similar thing with like the little kind of like tippy tips. Your tips, yeah. yeah. And I think those still work as far as I know, but All maybe right. I, I haven't used them for you know a year or so. So well, check them out I guess again. We'll find out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, People in the backstage pass chat talking about the trouble with gloves. You know, gloves never really keeping your hands warm if you have to actually contact snow. I definitely do recommend these. Hot hand super warmer. Oh, as part of your winter uh, accessories, they're just little sandbags. You shake them to activate them, and you just put them in your gloves. And they're for, good for biking and stuff, and for gaming when you got to warm up those fingers in the chilly dead of night. Woo! James, gaming. James Smith writes in and says, "Hey, Hanson and the Hound Dogs, oh, oh. Um, let's play Crusader Kings Three Patch Notes, real or fake?" Uh, Leo, you're not looking at this, are you? I accidentally looked at the first one, but I haven't seen any others. Okay. Is this a real patch note or not for Crusader Kings 3? Surreal. Children can become more inclined to drink later in life if their guardians are a poor influence. Real or fake patch note? I'm going to say fake. That is real. Anna, wards will no longer apologize after an unsuccessful assassination attempt. Um fake correct god you get it leo the cucumber king is no longer unintentionally a kinslayer due to a wrongly assigned father cucumber king cucumber king that one is fake that is real of course what took you him fool? so long he's about like six mm. months Sorrel, <laughs> <laughs> uh characters are no longer angry at their new friends <laughs> <laughs> Is it real? That's real. Anna, fixed a child's favorite toy crashing the entire game. Um, real? That is real. Leo, the Pope can no longer initiate a holy war on the player's faction. Fake. That is fake. Oh, you know your Crusader Kings. Yeah, Surreal. you should never be able to do that. Serial, please answer this. Please. If you try to make too many children, your wards... Oh, if you might try to take... 
If you try to make too many children your wards, you'll now be told off in a strongly worded letter. I'm going to say fake. Sorry, that's real. Anna, intelligent women no longer confront their pregnant lesbian lover to ask if they are the father of that child. Stupid women, however, still have a chance to ask that question. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go with what I hope to be true, which is real. That is an actual patch note for Crusader yeah. Kings 3. Thank you, Jim yeah. Smith, for writing in. Because they uh, definitely uh, added the same sex relationship, so I was right, like, oh, right. it's feasible, it's feasible. Mm. Thank you so much for all the great questions and comments this week. Uh, what stands out? What do you think is question of the week? Um, I liked the question about strategy guides. Mm. The cannibal mm -hmm. question was good. <laughs> yeah. Which I guess started with the comment There's about elderly soup. gaming was nice. Yeah, those are probably the two, I think, either cannibals or, or the elderly, I think. Wait, are but two. it wasn't a cannibal question. What was the original <laughs> the question? question was <laughs> a weird peanut butter stuff, in right? soup. Oh, it was yeah. peanut butter soup. Yeah. yeah. I mean... Right. Naturally, <laughs> natural progression. Yeah, I think you gotta give it to peanut butter and soup <laughs> for where it led us, right? Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. yeah. All yeah. right, congratulations, Michael Lynch. You win I'm Ape It's prize of the Cuphead double album. Way to go. Uh, you can submit a question in the future for us to read, and you can have a chance to win as well. If you support us any tier on Patreon, submit a question. Now it's time for something we call Get a Load of This. Get a load of this. Ooh, um, new outro. Take that was away, um, my Western. That's not Western. Okay. Um, <laughs> what? Get a load of I'm sorry. I was Your like, that's an accent, but it's not. Um, <laughs> get a load of this. Uh, this person who goes by the username <laughs> Lumpy Touch uh, turned uh, Among Us into a Game Boy game, made a video. Um, it's very fun, very cute. Like the aesthetic matches the Game Boy game era very nicely, and That's made fun. a little uh, chip tune uh, soundtrack to go as well. So, yeah. That's fun. Does he do anything with like the link cable to show off multiplayer, or is it just implied? Oh, uh, there's no, there's no um, link cable okay. as far as I know. I think it's more just like a thing that looks cool. Yeah. Um, oh, that's fun. Yeah. Uh, the links are in the description below for everybody. Um, Mine is uh, just the tidbit that um, two of the old-timer leads from Sony Bend have left the studio. Uh, the studio that made Uncharted Golden Abyss, most recently Days Gone, but uh, Jeff Ross and John Garvin both left, and they've been there for a long time. John Garvin in particular, he was at that studio since 1997. I mean, he was the writer, creative director for Siphon Filter, those games. Um, just a real old-timer. Um, fun fact as well, before he got to the studio, the studio that made Days Gone was technically the same studio that made um, Bubsy 3D. So he got there right after Bubsy 3D shipped. Um, but it was so shocking when I visited that studio back at Game Informer. It was lovely. Uh, you know, Bend, Oregon was great. Um, but just talking about Days Gone with him and realizing that, like, oh, John Garvin just wrote that game. Like, very rarely... In AAA productions, is it just, eh, one guy wrote it, but he's been around for so long. It's interesting to see those two leave at this time and what that studio is up to next. Um, I think it'll be nice to get some some fresh blood in there, some new faces. Um, and they have hired two senior writers that you can find uh, on LinkedIn 
And the senior writers started last year, and it's a husband and wife, and they both say they created the mythology, world rules, characters, and complete story for a AAA open-world title. So it seems to be strongly implying, at least, that Sony Bend will be working on new IP. That's open-world new IP, so I'm excited to see what they're up to next. And, God, it seems like it'll be a while before it's fully operational, so hopefully they didn't have to let a lot of folks go, or maybe they can produce kind of like a Lost Legacy small game before this new IP comes out, but still cool uh, to see some friendly turnover there, I guess, at Sony Bend. Um, Surreal? Yeah, this is. I feel like this is going to be a total 180 from from, from that. Uh, this is actually from a couple of weeks ago, but I, I found it relevant still. Uh, this is from Blake at Neil Nevins, uh, who said on Twitter... I feel like Gen Z wouldn't believe this was an unedited image from a real commercial that played several times a day across primetime network television. Now, and this was, uh, do any of you know about the sandwich chain Quiznos? Mm-hmm. Love it. Yeah, it's great. Good. You remember those weird ass commercials they had with, with the, the monkey? Two, no, the, well, I, I don't know if they were monkeys or like hamsters or whatever. Oh, yes, yes, pigs. yes. They're guinea pigs. And it was just like, they would just. They had like human mouths and eyes and they would like just manipulate. It was like 30 seconds of just them going like singing these weird songs that are basically (laughs) full of non sequiturs and just saying like, yeah, like we love the subs. The subs are great. We cook them. We have other stuff. And then it would cut to like, yeah, Quiznos has subs now. And like they to, to the rest of the regular commercial. Yeah. And I watched one of those ads and it is the weirdest thing still. It is so odd that they like, they almost went to like adult swim levels of weird irony. And this was in like the mid 2000s, like before this stuff was so prominent. It was ahead of the curve. Like it beat Old Spice to it. It beat that entire kind of ironic wave of commercials for sure. Yeah, and it is still wild to watch these commercials. So, I definitely if you if uh, uh, this is like a throwback Thursday, you know, if you're if mm. this is Wednesday for you, then then just keep quiet about it, or <laughs> pretend it's Thursday. Quiet. But um, but yeah, really weird to think about some of the ads that were out there That's back so then. That's so strange. Uh, Leo, well, get a load of this. Forget Suriel's Quiznos yeah. ad. Look at all that. Check Bro. out Subway's Uncharted 3 TV promo. <laughs> what? <laughs> Amazing coincidence. Yeah, it's just a 15-second little TV spot for Subway with uh, uh, Uncharted 3 gameplay. They edited a couple <laughs> uh, set pieces from Uncharted 3 to so Nolan North as Nathan Drake has a Subway plastic cup in his hand and you've got <laughs> Nolan North going like... Buying Subway while he's falling out of the plane. It's pretty, pretty fun. TV promo. Now that's art. Uh, we have Did a wonderful he? community Discord that shares a bunch of get loads of this. I don't know how you pluralize that uh, in a channel. It's just a nonstop drip of good stuff. Um, Fontelroy submitted a get a load of this. Uh, it's an article from Kotaku called "The Xbox Series X Can Run PlayStation Two Games." Uh, and the article reads, both the Xbox Series S and X have a developer mode users can activate, which can let you run uh, UWP apps. That's an application designed to be able to run not just in Windows 10, but Xbox and Windows 10 mobile as well. That includes RetroArch, a famous front end for various emulators, which means that with a minimum of fuss, anyone with one of Microsoft's new consoles can kick back and play, say, a PlayStation 2 game or something from the GameCube library, if you prefer that instead. So apparently... It's going to be very easy to emulate stuff on the Xbox. I'm curious to see how popular that becomes. Yeah. 
that seems pretty pretty cool and and feasible. I don't know how like if that if doing that gets your Xbox immediately banned and you have to retrofit it. But I met it feels it feels like you can just go between the two modes. Yeah, I'm not sure. So uh, I have to look into that a little bit more. But what a funky weird thing. But uh, thanks everybody that submits great stuff in that Discord all the time. That's it, everybody. That's an episode of the MinMax Show. Um, let's see. Stuff coming up. We have a new episode of Better Quest, uh, the show all about getting better with Jeff Cork. That's going to be going live for $20 and $10 supporters and above um, on Thursday at 7 p.m. Central. And then it'll be up for everybody on YouTube the next day. But if you want to call in and talk to us about getting better, setting a personal goal for December, you can jump up to that $20 tier on Patreon. We'd love to have some new voices. So looking forward to those calls. But before that airs on Thursday on... uh, Uh, Yeah, we have a very exciting uh, episode of Refreshed. We're going to be talking to the developers of the absurdist uh, online community-run video game Blazeball. Um, It's a baseball simulator. And they're starting their new season, so we're doing a a bit of a season kickoff um, with them, which is very fun. And... um, It'll just be like a nice open conversation. Um, and if you're not familiar with Blazeball, like maybe go check it out. Cause I, yeah, again, could also be under those underrated games. Um, but I feel like it got a decent amount of buzz. So, yeah, yeah. I was amazed by the the buzz of you announcing that. It's like there is a Blazeball community that was, that showed the hell up on Twitter at least. It's like, what is happening yeah, here? Yeah. No, it's, um, it's a really active, really kind, great community. Um, super involved because it is like at its heart, it's a community run game. Mm. Um, and so it's kind of like this weird go between where the developers like actually don't, they do a decent amount to maintain it, but like definitely the game as it is today wouldn't exist if it weren't for such passionate fans. So I was happy to see them excited for the show. Yeah. So that'll be on Twitch streaming at 6 PM central on Thursday. You can jump in mm-hmm. and ask a question in the chat. Uh, the archive will also be up on YouTube the next day. And the show as always is in the Patreon exclusive podcast feed as well. Uh, also in that feed, you can find a new episode of min facts every single Monday, uh, our community Q and a podcast. And, uh, last Sunday, uh, we had uh, best friend Ronnie, which if you've watched the deepest dive on like Final Fantasy VII remake or some other odds and ends on our YouTube channel, you might be uh, acquainted with. But uh, he joined for a couple hours as we took a bunch of calls from the community. So everybody on YouTube demanding more best friend Ronnie. It's on that episode. I'm in fact. So please check that out and let us know what you think. Um, hey, Leo. Hey, I personally would like to thank all of our $50 supporters on Patreon by reading Go off ahead. their name on each and every episode of the podcast. But what if you read it off? I Am I ready? I don't know if I'm ready. I believe in you. <clears throat> Thanks to the following Patreon supporters for their generous support of MinMax at the $50 tier. Sync the podcast. I am 8-Bid, Mirko, Rico, Torino, Rich, McLaughlin, Zachary, Pliggy, Rebecca Lang, Beaten Down, Brian, Mark, Saliga, Jawar, Hello, Ludwig Roke, Andrew Falla, Jesse Vitelli, Super Serious Sam, Snake24, Thomas Hoster, Yarrow, Spiral in Your Eyes, Richard Smuts, JT Fells, Preetham, Yarrow Legata, Clint Farley, Spider Dan, Steve, Bam, Dad, Slick Nick. Thank Damn. you all so much. That's good, Let's go. Bye, everybody. Bye.